Alright, thank you guys for tuning in. This is the inaugural episode of the Cinephiles Digest podcast. My name is Matt. I'm joined today by my co-host, Travis. Hi, this is Travis. And Tom. What's up? This is Tom. <laughs> so, uh, coming right out of the gate, we had some technical difficulties with some mics. So, uh, Thomas and I are going to be sharing a mic. It should be fine. I wouldn't worry about yeah, it too much. Really well. <laughs> um, and then Travis is across the table from us. So, let's just dive right in. Um, first, I think we should just talk about general introductions, your relationship to movies, a little bit about who you are, what you do for a living, um, all that good stuff. So, Travis, you want to start us off with your intro? Sure. Uh, I'm Travis, and I'm uh, 28 years old. I work for an insurance company, and I was always a casual movie uh, fan growing up, and um, the movie that really got me into movies was No Country for Old Men. Um, right around the time I was in high school, I got a Netflix subscription and um, was finding out about a bunch of movies I hadn't ever heard of, and it's just become an obsession over the years trying to find out find these special films nice no country for old men is one of my favorites too what about you tom uh this is tom i'm 26 years old uh, i work for amazon web services and uh i watched a lot of movies growing up but i didn't really start getting into them until i was in high school and college i took a film and story class comparing literature to film um we watched Night of the Hunter and Wings of Desire. Those were both very weird movies for me, but uh, made me think about movies in a different way. So ever since then, I've been you know, checking out movies whenever I can. Night of the Hunter is pretty rad. I haven't seen Wings of Desire, but I got that, uh, that Criterion Blue of Night of the Hunter. <laughs> yeah, it's <man>. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Wings of Desire is uh, bizarre. It's got uh, Nick Cave. If you're a Nick Cave fan, there's like a whole music set from him. So that's a good one. You should definitely check it out. For sure. And uh, I'm Matt. I also work at an insurance company. Travis and I are co-workers. Um, I was always really into movies growing up, but it was, it was pretty casual. Um, I watched a lot of movies with my dad. I watched Terminator 2 when <laughs> I was like, I was probably three the first time I saw that movie. So it was a lot of just like, you know, dad movies growing up. Lots of Schwarzenegger, some Stallone. Predator? Love Predator. Uh, Terminator movies. Um, I remember going with my dad. He took me to go see Black Hawk Down when it came mm -hmm. out. I was like nine when that movie came out, and there was just like body parts everywhere, and it was super <laughs> tense. And I was just loving it. Um, but me and my friends were really into going to the theater, and my dad was really cool about it, just bringing us. Um what kind of switched as far as when I started really getting into movies, I saw the fountain in the theater. Oh. And it was just Great one of my movie. favorite movies. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies to this day. Um, but that's still the only movie I've seen in a theater where I knew nothing about it going in. Like I was just with some friends and we want to see a movie and the movie we wanted to see had we missed it by like 20 minutes or something. So we were just like, Oh, what should we see instead? And the fountain was playing. So we were just like, fuck it let's let's see the fountain and i didn't really know what i just watched but there was just something about it that just out the gate like i was super into it the visuals were amazing and it was like from that moment forward that i started like looking at movies differently and actually seeking out 
um, more obscure movies. I got more into like this director did this movie. This actor has been in this stuff. You know, I actually started getting more into them. And then from there, I mean, in college, I minored in film studies. I took a bunch of film classes. Um, I've always been doing that kind of stuff. Um, so that's just kind of my personal, um, um, doesn't matter, my personal intro to movies. All right, so this is how it's going to go down. We're going to go over our top ten, personal top ten list of the year. We'll go round robin style. We'll do Travis's ten, Tom's ten, my ten, and then nine, so on and so forth. Um, but before we dive in, you guys just want to talk about the year of 2016 in general, kind of what you thought, the quality of films overall, what was it like coming up with this top 10 list for you, just general impressions of the year. Uh, Travis, you want to start us off? Yeah. So, um, I think overall it was a really good year for film. Uh, there was a lot of good to great movies, uh, with a special, or a couple special ones that, um, I think I'll you know, continue to watch over the years. Uh, I would say my top five is pretty solid, but my six through 10 could be easily swapped with any of my 11 through 20. (laughs) Um, But yeah, other than that, uh, it was probably one of the better years overall for movies in a while, except for maybe blockbusters. I feel like a lot of the big movies this summer were pretty terrible. And I didn't even catch up with some of them just because I've heard so many negative things about them. There was definitely some clunkers. The summer was pretty rough. There was some smaller stuff that came out over the summer that I enjoyed quite a bit. But, yeah. Year in Blockbuster is not great. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, overall, I thought it was a really good year for movies. Like, this this was the hardest top ten list I've ever had to make. And there's nothing... Even the movies at the top of my list, I don't know if I feel as strongly about them as the top picks from previous years. Like, for me, there was no The Master, there was no Her, you know, Mm. there was nothing that's going to, like, join my list of, like, my favorite movies of all time. But I saw a lot that I really, really liked. Um, So, similar to what Travis said, like, my top 10, I finally settled on it. But 11 through 20 could easily swap it in. You know, there was some politics that went into it. I wanted to make sure I was trying to... <laughs> Got to have a couple cool picks. Yeah, I wanted to highlight something <laughs> some that people might not have seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I don't know. It was, it was a good year overall, though. I think there was some really good stuff. You just kind of had to look for it, I feel like. Yeah, agreed. Um, I When I was making the list, I kept thinking, man, there must have been a lot of movies that I didn't see because I didn't feel super compelled about everything below, honestly, my top three. Um, so yeah, great movies on my list for 11 through 20, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I just keep asking myself, what didn't I see? That must've been really spectacular. Um, I still think it was a good year for movies, but, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of all time favorites. Yeah, I would agree. Any other thoughts before we dive into our list, you guys? No. Go for it. All right. Travis. Kick it off with your number 10 pick. So are we going to do films that we haven't seen that may have made our list after this? No, nah, we'll do that at the end. Because then you're okay. spoiling. You don't want to be <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I really wish I had seen this movie. And then people True. are going to be like, oh, well, now I know that's not going to be on a stock right. list. <laughs> All right. Well, so my number 10 is going to be Wiener Dog, which I just caught up with probably a few days ago. And, um, yeah, I was just trying to cram in some last-minute movies uh, before we recorded and um yeah i just love this from start to finish um the first segment was probably my favorite 
with the little boy and his dog. Uh, I thought that would work as just like an amazing short film if they just cut it off after that, but it continues to go on and um, the dog follows uh, four stories in total. And um, I think the movie talks about stuff that, you know, people or other films are afraid to talk about, um, just about life and our relationship with animals. And um, it does a lot with the little and inspires anyone who's interested in filmmaking to get out there and just make something and uh, it was good to see Danny DeVito back in a feature film. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was in that. It yeah. was, yeah, his segment is, is pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> Greta Gerwig's in that movie, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. The, she's the one, yeah. She takes, she takes over. She's the second segment, right? Doesn't yeah. she kind of take the dog after the kid segment? Right. right. Okay, so it follows its parts, like it, the dog follows different owners? or. Yes. yes. Okay. And it's, it's supposed to be the same dog, I think, but it gets a little... Right. a little murky and it's typical todd salon's fashion it's very awkward and brutal at times perfect <laughs> it's funny though i i thought i i enjoyed wiener dog quite a bit um i've got my list of of movies here let me see where wiener dog ended up okay well wiener dog ended up number 37 on my list <laughs> but i did i did really like wiener dog i mean i like todd salon's other stuff i really like happiness Life During War Time is really yeah, good. it's another fucked up movie. <laughs> That's kind of his thing, though. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought and, it was uh, pretty funny. Some of the dramatic moments were solid. There's just, I don't know. I didn't feel like the segments were, con- were consistent. I'm pretty far removed from it, so I can't think of which segment in particular kind of threw me off. I remember the Danny DeVito one definitely being pretty strange. Yeah. Um, but that's that's an Amazon Studios movie. Yep. Do you have a yeah, producer credit? It's on currently that on Amazon. Afraid not. <laughs> but maybe in a couple years. You gotta get out. You gotta get in on this Amazon Studios action. Yeah, I'm gonna have to fight for those promotions. <laughs> but yeah, solid number ten pick. Tom. Cool. Number ten. Uh, number ten for me was The Witch. Kind of a last minute decision. I had to pick between a couple of other contenders, but uh, The Witch is a horror film, um, directed by. Did, did The Witch technically come out in 2016? Uh, it got a theatrical release yeah, in 2016. Yeah, I think it hit festivals in 2015, but... It's been kicking around US for a while. Okay. It's, it's debut was... It's eligible. Yeah, for sure. Good, yeah, I'm going to stick with yeah. it. Don't, don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, so it's about a Puritan family that has to move away from their community. Um, I think there's a little bit of background there that, that the viewer is not supposed to be super clear on. So they end up living out in the woods, just them. Uh, naturally some creepy things start to happen um it was a really suspenseful film the one thing that added a lot of uh ambiance to the film but was also a difficult point was the language because they try to stay true to something that is a little bit unfamiliar it's almost shakespearean so there were definitely a couple of lines i needed to rewind about five times before i finally caught the accents are pretty thin that was one of the parts that kind of held it back for me is i've had a hard time understanding a lot of the dialogue yeah the dialogue was tough but um it had such a distinct like vibe um and the final scene is super disturbing and super creepy and you don't really know where this film is going they definitely play on the idea of um you know whether these people are just kind of out of their mind or whether there are actually uh, supernatural forces at work so the end of the movie is trippy and 
totally makes it for me. Definitely a top five ending of 2016. Yeah. Me. It was, yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> that w- I did like the ending for that, but overall, that was actually like probably on the bottom 10 of my list. Oh for my the year. God. And I watched like 70 movies this year. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty boring. It's um, not on my list, but I, I it liked was it something quite a bit. I'd like to watch again, though. It was, it was on my top 10 for maybe the first half of the year, and then some stuff started coming out, kind of knocked it off. I would definitely say it's one of the, one of the best horror movies of the year. Um, and f- Philip, is that the name of the goat? Yeah. Can we talk spoilers? Oh, best, best animal of the year. I think <laughs> we should, we probably should have gone over that at the top of the podcast, oh, right. but there's, there's definitely going to be some spoilers in this. I think we should do our best to talk generally, but I mean, these movies have been, been out, so we'll, yeah. we'll keep it general, but yeah. Black Phillip. Black Phillip. Terrifying. Animal of the year, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, he was really good. That's a solid pick. I wish I could have made it on. It could have made it on my list, but I just can do it. I can do it. Fair enough. That's why it's number ten, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So my number ten pick. I was also pretty conflicted on it. Uh, there may have been some politics that went into it. I wanted to try and squeeze something in that I feel like maybe hasn't gotten as much acclaim as I feel like it deserves. My number 10 pick is Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, that's what I switched out for The Witch. Really? Yeah, that's, that was my number that's, 11 now, I guess. That's probably good, though. Yeah. Because now we got The Witch, which I wish was on my list. We got Hunt for the Wilder People. It's just a really funny, tight, heartwarming movie. Gosh, it's, it's such a lovable movie. <laughs> it's about this uh, chubby little foster kid in New Zealand <laughs> who it's like... Uh, his last strike, basically. So this is his last family that they're going to assign him to. And if it doesn't work out, they're going to put him in juvie or something. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Really funny. I laughed out loud a lot. I feel like the central performances are really good. Sam Neill's in this, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Um, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think. What the, I don't remember the name of his character. <laughs> He's in this. He plays uh, the dad, I guess, the adoptive dad. Uh, and he's this kind of like gruff, doesn't really give a shit about the kid. It's his yeah, wife who's really into unrecognizable. it. <laughs> like if you didn't know, <laughs> if it was him going into it. Um, he's pretty good in it. The the the, the kind of gist of the movie is that they uh, they wind up lost in the wilderness because Sam Neill's character hurts himself. So there's this like nationwide manhunt for people looking for them, and they encounter people out in the wilderness, and they're just trying to get get back home um but i feel like the the chemistry between the kid and sam neil was really good um the you know the setting was unique i guess there aren't a ton of movies that come out of new zealand that are actually set in new zealand you know lord of the rings was filmed in new zealand but it's that's mm-hmm. that's middle earth that's not new zealand so it's a little <laughs> different strong sense of place um good performances all around that was really funny um touching may have been some tears came up a little bit oh yeah no full-on crying for me and it's not hard to make me cry but. <laughs> solid all-around movie i'm excited for uh the director take away is doing the new thor movie he's doing oh, thor yeah. ragnarok oh really that's i'm curious to see that yeah so i'm excited to see what he does with that i haven't seen the previous two thor movies um those are like two of the only marvel movies <laughs> i haven't seen so 
I've seen the first one, but not the second one. I'll have to catch up with them, but I'm excited to see what he does next. And he did uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which was also oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. So I funny. I have seen that. Um, yeah, that's my number 10 pick. Travis, you're All number right. nine. Number nine. Everybody wants um, the uh, newest Richard Linklater film. Uh, it's the spiritual sequel to Days and Confused. Uh, I thought it was the funniest film of the year. Uh, it's very entertaining. Entertaining. Uh, Matt and I saw a screening of it when it, uh, before it was released, and it was definitely uh, helpful that we had a full crowd to watch it with. And um, I actually like it more than Days and Confused. I know they're different eras, but uh, I just feel like everybody wants some captured the era that it is in perfectly and um yeah i just thought it was funnier and i uh enjoyed the characters more uh, all the characters play off each other pretty well and um i didn't go to college but this film gave me that experience that i missed out on and um i could definitely see um well my dad growing up in this era um it just reminds me of some of the stories that he's told me <laughs> solid he must pick. have had a fun time yeah, <laughs> love to party. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I also, I also love this movie. It uh, may be making an appearance later on on my list, but um, as far as Dazed and Confused and its relation to that movie, I've seen this movie twice. So I saw it at the screener that I went to with Travis, and I saw it a second time. Came down a little bit on the second viewing. I'll talk more about it later, but. I wouldn't say it's better than Days and Confused anymore. I definitely was in that camp yeah. after the first screening. And I think it had a lot to do with just the environment Hype. we saw it in. Because it was a packed <laughs> screening. Comedies in particular, if you're in a good screening and everyone's yeah. laughing. Like, even movies that aren't that funny. Right. The communal aspect better. of seeing a comedy, it, it makes you think it's funnier than it is. And it is it is very funny. Um but it definitely came down a little bit on a rewatch for me. But I definitely love that. Yeah, I watched that movie alone, and I never actually finished. Which oh, no, was, really? Yeah, one of my mistakes of the year. Mm. Uh, <laughs> something came up. I had to stop watching, and I just never went back to it. And the whole time I was watching the movie, I wasn't sure. Like, I thought things were funny, but I wasn't sure even if that's what it was going for. Which is maybe one of the merits of the film uh, was that it's kind of true to life, but also you're supposed to be enjoying it. But there are a lot of things from the time period that. I think for modern viewers, maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, I can imagine how much different an experience that would be watching it in a packed screening with lots of people who are laughing and enjoying it. So, it was it was definitely one of my favorite movie going experiences of the year. Yeah. All right, Tom, number nine. Uh, number nine for me was Arrival. <coughs> so this may be on your lists. Maybe not. <laughs> um, it's a head shake for me. <laughs> Arrival is about aliens coming to Earth, basically. Um, I thought that they did some really cool stuff. I mean, the aliens were really inventive. They didn't feel like stereotypical Hollywood aliens. Uh, they have the whole Abbott and Costello personalities assigned to these two aliens that they don't have names for. And the whole premise is that um, they bring in a specialist, a language specialist, to try and figure out if they can communicate with these aliens who don't use any sort of discernible language. Um, I thought it was a little bit 
repetitive because they have to keep re-entering the ship. I mean, things escalate, obviously. It gets more tense. Um, I really like the film. I thought it had uh, a lot of a lot of atmosphere. Uh, I like the I like the characters, but the ending for it and the big twist didn't really work for me. I don't know. I was all about it. You were all about It'll, it. It'll we'll I'll, we'll be talking about it. Right Let's talk later. about that more later. But I thought it was a great movie. I just yeah. and I went in with pretty high hopes. Um, I still think it's one of the top ten movies of the year, but I wish it would have been a little bit higher. Yeah, that's another one I'd like to watch again. I feel like I missed something the first viewing, and it might work a little better if uh, I was a little bit older and had children of my own. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, yeah. Anything else on that? No, I don't think so. We can talk about it more. Oh, it's we're going to talk about it more. We're going to talk about it more. <laughs> Sounds that. Huge. All right. <laughs> All right, so my number nine pick is a South Korean horror film called The Wailing. Uh, this is a movie that I feel like watched it. no one's talking about, <laughs> and they should be talking about it. This is the <laughs> best horror movie of 2016. It's it's really long. It's two hours and 40 minutes. Um, so it, it's definitely a commitment, but it's genuinely frightening. There's some imagery in it that I thought was really interesting, very striking. Uh, but I think what made it for me is there's there's elements of black comedy in it, and there were parts that I was just dying laughing. Like there's some like almost physical comedy in it. The um, so let me give you some background. So it's about this small village community in Korea, and there's like an outbreak of like, crazy people. There's like women going out and biting people they have like sores on their faces and red eyes and they're just like shit's going down and the guy who's investigating all of this is this kind of like chubby cop he's kind of a bumbling idiot kind of type so there's a lot of physical comedy that comes in with that because he's a terrible cop objectively so but he's the only one who actually feels like there's anything <laughs> worth investigating here so it's him and his cop buddy and his family um, but his family becomes personally affected by this. It's like a ghost possession movie. Um, there's an exorcism scene in the later half of the movie that That's is ridiculous. Top five exorcism scenes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really good. And But it's also like the mystery of the film. There's like a procedural mm. like investigative element of it where you're, they're just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And I found that really interesting too. Like the the mystery is what kept me intrigued, like through the long running time because it's a long ass movie. But I, it never felt long. Like a movie that I'll talk about it later. But a movie that just barely missed my list is Martin Scorsese's Silence. Basically the same length. Silence definitely felt longer than The Wailing, mm, and I think yeah. it was that like mystery element that kept me intrigued through it because I just wanted to know what was happening. So it was yeah. funny, it was scary, buddy it was cop. fucked up. You got some buddy cop. <laughs> Everything you could ever ask for. <laughs> I love The Wailing. Uh, there's, there's a couple things about it that I wasn't super hot on. It's not a particularly beautiful looking movie. You know, there, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it amateurish by any means, but it didn't really hit me on that kind of level. Yeah. Um, but overall, really well done. Horror flick, my favorite horror movie of the year. I actually... Um, oh, did you like it too? Well, no, I 
I was doing some last minute cramming last night, or I wanted to at least, and uh, it was like 2 a.m. and I wanted to watch a movie, and that was the one I wanted to catch up on. <laughs> I watched like 15 minutes of it or so and realized it was a bad idea starting an almost three-hour movie that Not a 2 a.m. watch, and for sure. And then I, uh, I put on about 10 minutes of Disorder, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to try something else, because <laughs> I was kind of falling in and out of sleep already, and I knew it was a bad idea. And then I put on like high rise for five or ten minutes, and then I just said "fuck it" and I went to bed. <laughs> just a total waste of time. But just dipping, but just dipping your, dip in the, your <laughs> balls in three different movies and not actually getting a feel for them. Just the tip. Hey, the tip. When I you was... told me that you had seen a movie called The Wailing, I thought you were talking about like whales. Wailing, yeah. I was like, is this a period piece? <laughs> Very different. No, no whales in The Wailing, but. I have a good segue for my number eight. Since oh, yeah. I was unable to finish a movie last night, I woke up early and rewatched something that just made my top ten. <laughs> so my number eight is Midnight Special, uh, directed by Jeff Nichols. Yeah, and uh, the first thirty minutes is amazing. I love how you're just thrown right into the middle of the chase. You don't know anything about the characters, um, but you know it, the story's already happening. Uh, it had a really memorable score. Uh, there was great performances all around. I liked how the movie gave you enough mystery, but let your imagination run with the rest of it. And um, I think that was probably the reason why I held back on it a little bit the first time I watched it, just because I had high expectations and I felt like the ending was a little bit of a letdown. But then on a second time through, I uh, was able to accept it for what it was. And um, I love the action sequences that are sprinkled throughout. Um, it's very well paced, and the action sequences in it are pretty amazing. And, um, yeah, I just think he's one of our finest working directors right now. I've seen all of his films and have nothing but praise for him. Solid pick. Midnight Special for yeah. me is one that I, I kept hovering around the number 10 spot for almost the entire year. I kept seeing new stuff. I kept being like, oh, the Midnight Special is so good. I'm going to leave it yeah. on. And there was just so much that I saw at the end of the year. It, it came down to a couple movies, and I, I really wanted Midnight Special to make it on, but I just it fell off when I was finalizing my list. Fantastic movie, though. I, I love Midnight Special. Um yeah, we can talk more about that later, but yeah, I think we will. Big fan. <laughs> uh, big fan. Did I steal some thunder? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay. You're perfect. That was just a setup for my piece. Oh god. On Midnight okay. Special. All right. Uh, my number eight film was Zootopia. Um, I mean, I think that it—it's a great movie. It's a great movie. I think it's really important—an important movie for kids. Like, it took some took some liberties with uh, you know what a kid's movie should be and what the lessons should be in a kid's movie. For anybody who hasn't seen it, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, issues that are, that are in current events, you know, things that you see people talking about and arguing about in the news. Those were touched on throughout the whole movie. It's all about learning how to work with people or animals in this case who are different from you um, how to be respectful, but also how to work together. Um, I, in the end, like it was just a really good, really well done movie. Uh, but there was enough substance for adults to love, kids to love. Um, 
yeah, I thought that movie was fantastic. Yeah, it was in my top five for a long time, and then it just slowly dwindled down. It's still probably in my top 20 somewhere. And um, I did like how that movie was different genres at different times. Mm-hmm. Like there was like a horror segment. Totally. And there was like a buddy cop element. Mystery. Kind of age. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it was it was really funny too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, that scene, one of the hilarious. best scenes of the year oh, for sure yeah, is the definitely. DMV scene <laughs> yeah. with the sloths. Oh <laughs> so good. Um, definitely my favorite animated movie of the year. It's not going to be on my, my yeah, overall well. list. But um, yeah, it's one of those things where like you know it's a great movie but maybe it just didn't stick with you personally like you were saying it just sort of dwindled down your list yeah. i think that's the same thing for me like when i saw zootopia i was like no one's gonna there's not gonna be a better animated film than this this year right. um but by the end of the year i was just like zootopia do i really want to rewatch that i don't know um also just as a side note seeing a cell phone and seeing people watch videos in a kid's movie was so bizarre because that guy that uh, the cat, the like leopard or whatever he is, that works with oh, the bunny yeah. at the station at the front desk is just oh, like showing yeah. people like music videos on his iPhone or on his on his smartphone, and I was like, oh my god, it's over! Like that generation <laughs> has no idea that those didn't used to exist. Right. It was yeah, definitely my favorite animated movie of the year. I actually just last night caught up with Moana, which is the mm-hmm. other like Disney Animation Studios movie that came out this year. And Moana was also very good, but I prefer Zootopia, I think, if I'm picking between the two, for sure. Yeah. Good pick. All right. My number eight of the year, uh, we've already talked about. It's Everybody Wants Some. Uh, yes, they do. I, I'm Richard Linklater is someone that, when I was still a casual movie watcher, I love what I had seen of his. Like School of Rock is still one of my favorite oh, yes. comedies. I saw School of Rock at a birthday party in like eighth grade or something like that. It might have even been earlier. Absolutely love it. I'm a huge fan of all of his work. So when this came out, I was so I stoked know. for it. And like I said previously, like on a rewatch, it came down a little bit for me. But the cast of characters here are remarkable. Everyone's really funny, particularly... Um, Glenn Powell plays Finn Finnegan, who is this kind of like he has a swagger about him. He's a ladies man. (laughs) And he has some really interesting conversations with the other characters about like his perspective on like being a womanizer and how he's almost like a chameleon, (laughs) which is kind of fucked up. Like he changes. He's always trying to seduce women, but he does so based upon the woman he's talking to, you know, like part of the theme of the movie is that they're, Everyone's kind of trying to find out who they are, which is kind of what college is for. So they're all baseball players, but they go to a, a punk show. They go to an art party. They go to a disco club. They go to a country club. And every time they go out, Finn is always trying to get laid, which makes it sound like it's some kind of like bro teen comedy nonsense, which it, it kind of is. I mean, a yeah. big theme of the movie is like these characters trying to get laid, but it's not the way that they move in between these groups. It has a lot of things to say about, you know, how you interact with other people. Trying what... on different hats in college. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was a really cool thing that the movie did. Hilarious start to finish. One of the funniest movies I saw all year. Um, big fan of Everybody Wants Some. I can't wait to see what Link later does next. As um, usual. All on board. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, number seven, Hell or High Water. 
And um, I thought this was a awesome heist movie. I'm a sucker for those, as well as uh, cat and mouse chase films. And uh, it was very suspenseful and thrilling. Uh, it was a modern-day Western that comments on our current economy. Yes. <laughs> it was Maybe a, a, little a little heavy-handed, obvious. I yes. would say. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but still great, nonetheless. Um, I love the two lead performances by Chris Pine and Ben Foster. Uh, they had a brother relationship that I could relate to as far as, you know, doing whatever you got to do for your brother. And um, I would say it did feel a little familiar to other movies like it like it feels a little reminiscent of no country for old men or you know other heist films that have been released recently but i could see it being a movie that i keep going back to over the years so yeah, yeah that's my number seven yeah um did you finish that movie did you i did okay. yeah uh we have it very closely ranked <laughs> oh boy all, right. <laughs> all right well it's not on my list so I'll, you can say you can save yours but i'll, I'll talk a little bit about it it was definitely on my list for a long time. Ended up dipping off toward the end, but it, it's it's definitely it's up there for me. Uh, Jeff Bridges is so, so good. In this good. Movie. He's yeah. so good. I mean, everyone's really good. Even Chris Pine. Like, I was gonna say Chris Pine was like he was fantastic. Surprising, right? Yeah. Like I not that I thought he was a bad actor by any means, but I thought he was he was really good in this role. Ben Foster's really good. Um, there's just something about movies set in Texas. Everybody wants some. Another movie yeah. set in <laughs> Texas. No Country for Old Men, which we've talked about multiple times already. It's one yeah. of my favorite films. A lot of Linklater's work is set in Texas. There's just something about movies set in Texas that just like, oh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> well, it's, it's instantly like, you know, you instantly have a totally new perspective. I mean, I guess coming from us Especially also, from here, yeah. not a great, <laughs> maybe not the best representation of, uh, of all viewers of the film, but, <laughs> but I mean, you just do a panorama of some podunk town in texas and you already have like your setting you know yeah i was a big fan didn't quite make the list but yeah good stuff all right my number seven is one that i just caught up with this past week uh nocturnal animals is my number seven movie um there's been some people who are all about this movie there's been some detractors I feel like a lot of the time people are on either end of the spectrum. People really like it. People really hate it. I was in the camp that thought it was amazing. I thought the way the narrative is structured was really fascinating and compelling. Basically, you have this present day story and it's set in present times in LA, uh, in like the modern art world. So Amy Adams' character, her name is Susan, I believe. She... Uh, it's like a manager of an art gallery or something. Um, so the present day story takes place in LA and then she receives a package in the mail from her ex-husband who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who's a writer. And he sent her a copy of, of his first novel and asked her if she would want to meet up for dinner because he's going to be in town. So there's a present day story. There's this fictional story, which is a dramatization of, of the novel. So Jake Gyllenhaal, in the fictional story, plays himself. I think his character's name is Tony. And his wife, in the fictional story, is... Um, what is her name? Isla Fisher, is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah. Who mm. looks pretty similar to Amy Adams. And the, the novel that's within this story is set in Texas, yet again... And it's like a, 
revenge story. So they're out on this highway. Uh, they have a daughter, um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ella Fisher's character, and they basically get run off the road by these three uh, hillbillies, basically. And there's this menace about them. Aaron Taylor Johnson plays like the leader of the gang, and he actually just won a, a Golden Globe for his performance. And I thought he was, he was really good in it. Yeah. Um, he was also unrecognizable. Yeah, yeah, he 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 was great. Um, but then you also so there's those two story threads, and then kind of interwoven in between all of that are flashback scenes for the marriage between uh, Susan and Edward. Edward is the the name of the real life version of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and just the way those stories, just the way it was presented, the way the plot was presented, I thought was really fascinating. I was on board all the way through. Um, there's an incredible opening sequence, like a credit sequence oh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of has like some David Lynch vibes, yeah. feels pretty out of place overall. Um, but I, I thought it was cool for what it was. Yeah. Um, there's themes of coping with guilt, betrayal, and the subsequent like vengeful thoughts that follow that betrayal and just kind of finding, trying to find happiness and satisfaction in your life when you're struggling with coming to terms with past relationships um the novel is kind of an allegory for like what edward went through because basically some shit went down between them in their marriage and uh jake gyllenhaal's character is not super happy about it so him sending this novel is kind of his form of revenge um he dedicates the novel to her and the name of the novel is nocturnal animals um which is a he used to refer to amy adams character as a nocturnal animal um so Really cool themes that I found were fascinating. Fantastic performances all around. Michael Shannon plays a detective. He's always amazing. I love yeah. Michael Shannon. I know. He is great. He was fantastic in this. Aaron Taylor Johnson, as I already talked about, was fantastic. Amy Adams is great. Jake Gyllenhaal is is good in it. He's kind of the weak link for me. There are some moments where he's a little actory. You know, he's yeah. going a little over the top, and it feels a little. I don't know. He was good, but he was between the four like main performances. He was kind of the weak link for me. Yeah, um, but yeah, overall pleasantly surprised. There had been so much backlash, I wasn't sure what I was going to think about it. But I was in the middle. I thought it was good, but not great. Yeah, <laughs> it had some good moments, but overall it didn't gel together. That's for fair. Me. It seems like a lot of yeah. people are kind of in the same boat as you. Yeah. Um, so that's my number seven pick, Travis. Number All six. Right. Moving on to number six, which is a movie that I would not think would make my top 10 and then it just i can't escape it. it i just keep going back to it and that's moonlight by barry jenkins <laughs> i feel like this movie had to be on my list i thought it was a great movie um i saw it at the arc light in la which was an amazing experience it's like one of the biggest screens i've ever seen <laughs> and um it takes a look at a lonely gay african-american uh growing up in the hood without a father figure and uh, a mom who's caught up in her drug addiction. And it just shows the uh, toll that can take on someone. And um, the character transforms over the course of the three acts. And um, he almost turns into like a masked character at the end with his hulking physique and mouth full of bling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy to see how he transforms over the three acts because he's so scrawny and in the second act and then you see the Chiron in act three and it's just he's almost doubled <laughs> uh and yeah i mean it's very emotional it's powerful it's got 
big performances and a big score, which was probably one of my favorites of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think it deserves all the praise. I know there's been a little bit of backlash for it, but um, I think it's a front runner for the best picture this year. And yeah, it's probably the movie I'm most excited to go back and visit from 2016. I I definitely want to go back and see it. I'm, it was on my top ten list for a long time, but I I really thought about <laughs> it, and I I just couldn't put it on. Like it's it's a fantastic film, it's emotional, but it just I don't know. I feel like I've seen it before, in a sense. I I I really appreciate him. Where's setting it's set <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know it just it's it's gotten all this praise as this like transcendent film for the ages and it's just this incredible masterpiece and i just i thought it was a really well done emotional beautiful film the score is great the acting is great it just didn't resonate with me as much as i thought it would and I, I agree, it's definitely one that I'm excited to revisit. Well, Matt, but you don't fit the bill. So. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I just it didn't it couldn't make my top ten. Like I had to push it off. It was on there yeah. for a long time, but so, yeah, I was the opposite. It was always hovering around twelve or thirteen, and I just had to find a way to get it up on my list, and it ended at number six. I pushed it the fuck. Off <laughs> it was at like number seven, and let me see where it ended up. Where's Moonlight? Ended up at number thirteen. On on my, my movies of the year. So, so still fantastic. It just, I don't know. Maybe I need to see it again, but I'm yeah a little baffled by all the praise it's gotten, not by the general positivity surrounding it, but more so just, I don't know. I maybe mean, I just don't see what all the part of it about, could but. be a little forced though from last year with Oscar. So white. See, I feel like the yeah. Oscars could definitely, mm-hmm. if, I'm not going to say it's not deserving of Best Picture. I think it's really yeah. good. But I could definitely see them making a political move as far as all the, the backlash they've gotten for Oscar right. So White. I don't think there are any white people in Moonlight. I don't think there's a single one. Mm, yeah, probably probably not. So, That's great. They're, 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 not, they're not part of the main story. It might be. Any, I, on, I don't recall there being any white people in the movie. I can't think of a single one. Great film, but didn't make my list. <laughs> what are we on seven six, six. Right. yeah we're on six how did we get to six i didn't do seven that would mean you didn't do seven. Oh no we are on seven right am i crazy we did no we're on seven right no i did my seven i, already talked I about did hell or high water number seven what did we and then i talked it. about zootopia what are the movies that you've talked about go did start you, back at ten did you ten was the witch nine was arrival eight was zootopia did you get? I think I just after got scared. Animals. I, I think I. Oh, talked no, a little, I talked, we talked about, about Texas. And I wait, was Hell or High Water number seven for you as well? No, no, no. It's six for me. Oh. What the? So <laughs> I think we talked about Texas, and then we thought it was your turn. Oh, did I skip? Did I skip you? That's cool. I'm not. I think you did. Okay, oh I'll do. I'll do two. God. Okay. Go ahead. Wait, no, wait, 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 what? Yeah, because he has to do seven. You got to do seven. And then he has to do six, and then you have to do six. Well, right, but you haven't done... I just did You just did your six? That was Moonlight. God, this is out of control. All right, all right. You're good. Yeah, go for it. Number (laughs) seven, The Lobster. I love The Lobster. Such a bizarre movie. Uh, I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) Really original. Um, I'll give you okay. that. Okay, <laughs> Colin Farrell plays a character who goes to this like resort slash 
I, I don't even know, love camp. It's almost a, a prison. Too. It's it's like, very prison like, yeah. So you basically commit to finding your soulmate or finding your love within a certain number of days, and if you don't find that person, then you get turned into the animal of your choice. Uh, the animal he chooses is the lobster. He has a really funny reason for it. Something like they live a hundred years and they remain like virile for their entire sport. life. <laughs> he, he likes the ocean. Yeah, and he likes the ocean. <laughs> Just the weirdest. And he has his. Uh, he's got his dog there with him, and his dog used to be his brother. And he'd come and hadn't been able to find love. Um, I mean, there's some really obvious commentary about trying to find love in the modern world and all the pressures that are put on single people, but. And, and yeah, you could say that maybe those are a little bit cliche or something, but I just thought that the movie was so funny. It's sort of in two parts, one where he is playing along and then one where he rejects the system and he joins this group of, of uh, you know, outlaws that all of the other people who are participating in the love ritual go out and hunt. So that's part of their daily activities. They go out and See, they... That- that's they shoot the, the single people. Really? I thought it was so great. It was just like taking you completely outside of, of, because uh, you go and you're not really sure. Like, do they actually turn into animals? Like, what is happening? Yeah. But then you see them shooting single people with darts out in the forest, um, and uh, so the single people are not allowed to connect. Like, that's their whole thing. You either have to be in a relationship or you have to be super single which is why they only listen to electronic music. And so their <laughs> headphones in and no one dances with anyone and everybody's li- listening to different songs. And uh, one of the best moments of the movie, I'm just going to spoil it, is because, or is when um, Colin Farrell and, uh, what's the actress? She's, she's well known. Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss, yeah. So they're listening to electronic music, but they're really starting to like each other. And so they decide to sync up the song. And so they're both sitting there with their little iPods and their headphones in, and they, they press play at the same time, and then they dance together. And it's, it's so funny. <laughs> it's a really endearing film, really strange, really original, uh, and really unsettling. Like, it goes some places that will yeah. take you by surprise. The ending's pretty brutal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's violent. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah definitely worth a watch i i love that movie it's very good this this it'll be coming up later but we actually had someone uh send us an email about this movie we had asked people to write in about their favorite movies of 2016 and we got a submission from alex k he wrote in the lobster was my favorite movie of 2016 for various reasons it's shot beautifully and the overall cinematography adds to the bleakness of the story The soundtrack is also probably my favorite of any movie from the last year, though the main reason it tops my fairly extensive 2016 list is how shitty it made me feel. (laughs) I felt terrible for about two days after seeing it, and I loved it. I love when a movie, or any piece of art really, is able to influence my dumb human emotions on such a deep, all-encompassing level. I would even go as far as saying that it may possibly be in my top five favorite movies because of how it affected me on such a personal level. The requirement to find a suitable partner, the idea of settling or giving up, and the general apathy involved throughout the movie has been entirely my own experience, and seeing it play out as such on screen felt like looking into an albeit dystopian mirror. The themes still bug me out every time I think about specific scenes, and I don't know when I'll be able to watch the whole movie a second time. And again, I love it because of that. 
So thanks, Alex, for writing in. I love the lobster as well. We'll talk about it more later. Any other thoughts before we move on? Time. <laughs> what was that? I said I think I need to see it a second time. You should. It's on Amazon for yeah. those listening. If you haven't seen it, catch up with it. Hashtag Amazon. Um, <laughs> and then Tom, your number six. Oh yeah, my number you. six. Okay, this one will be fast because we already talked about it. Hell or High Water was number six for me. Um, I thought the performances were really great, but uh, I mean, I love Jeff Bridges and he was fantastic. Um, I was just kind of surprised that they were able to take the heist theme, the bank robber story, and say a lot with a little. Um, the relationship between Jeff Bridges, who is the sheriff, and his deputy uh, was really uh, eye-opening, and, and it showed a lot of different perspectives. Um, one with a, you know a, a guy, a Texan, who's who's uh, not excited about retiring and maybe he's taking out a little extra angst than usual on his partner. And then his partner is half Native American, half Mexican. And you, you get a glimpse into the struggles that he has working in, uh, in rural Texas. The so between them is pretty good. Oh story. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, and the development and then the way that the whole thing ends just caps off that relationship in, in a really, a way that you, you don't forget easily. Um, and I thought the movie could have ended about 20 minutes earlier than it did, and it would have been just just a, a good movie. But the last 20 minutes and the development that you get, um, Jeff Bridges uh, has a conversation with Chris Pine's character at the end where they, they really go toe-to-toe on sort of the ethics of bank robbing and, uh, you know, without saying too much, it just adds a whole different perspective to the story and and it really takes uh the two sides of the conflict and has them have has them i don't know duke it out you know over who was right and whether there really was a right answer to the story it just makes you think so much more and the more i thought about that movie uh, the more i picked up as far as uh the nuances so i love that movie Nice. We actually also had. Well, did you wanna? Did you wanna say something else before? Uh, before I move on, we actually got an email submission about this movie as well. I already said my piece for the most part. Uh, okay. So we actually had Ben write in to us about his favorite movie of the year, which is Hell or High Water. Um, he said, "Love this for a few reasons. One, because it was a total surprise." Yeah, I knew the director had made Startup, which I really liked, but that wasn't an accurate prediction of how much we all like this movie. It's a perfectly scripted and directed cops and robbers character film straight from the 70s, and if you just replace the cops with horses, it's also a classic western. And just like the best ones, death has meaning to the good guys here and none to the bad. We have a lot of throwbacks and films trying to be other things older than themselves. But this is that thing. It's trying nothing and ex- and exciting as is too strong a character study on each side of the lot to be a genre exercise it's better than that it is much of what i like to call shit kicker crime films along with other movies i love like red rock west blood simple and one false move uh he goes on talks about the characters here 
Ben Foster has the best arc. He's the quote crazy guy we laugh with <laughs> yeah. because he's entertaining and has all the early charisma. Yet as the film progresses and certainly at the end, we actually realize, no, this guy is a total hillbilly piece of shit. Yeah. He's fucked up. <laughs> Chris Pine's character is interesting because he knows this, the whole movie. He looks at our admiration and casual laughs at his brother and wonders why already he knows him from the start. And of course, Jeff Bridges, the classic lawman, one final hurrah before retirement, a trope that's known and widely used, but rarely pulled off as good as he does here, thanks to a terrific, surely-to-be-Oscar-nominated screenplay and role. I don't know about that. I hope so. But I, I feel like Jeff Bridges isn't really... His turn in this movie isn't really coming up in the... It hasn't. No, I'm surprised. I, I, he's one of, he's, that was one of my favorite performances. I hope he comes up. Um, uh, what, where did I leave off? Uh, he knows the drill. This is not Tommy Lee Jones in Old Country for Old Men, where he doesn't understand the evil of this new world. <laughs> this is old crime, and he knows how to deal with it. So thank you, Ben, for writing in about your favorite film of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, he's so saying man. a lot of the things that, that I was saying. It's just it takes a familiar story, but pulls it off in a way that that was totally surprising. Yeah. Definitely. Matt, did we convince you that you're wrong? About Hell or High Water? No, you guys are both wrong. All three of you guys, Ben included. <laughs> That's a bummer. Sorry, it's a great, It's a great film. It's just not... Yeah. Didn't crack my top ten. Hey, yeah, it was tough to narrow them down, so... Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> All right. We're on number six, right? Now the time's all caught up. for me. You, did you do your six? Yes, because I started it all off. Yeah, six. So he's now done his seven and six, and now it's my six, right? I already mm-hmm. did my six. Yeah, I'm saying it's my six. Oh, right. Clockwise. Sorry. Sorry. I thought you were... Uh, never mind. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Matt. What's your number six? Thank you, Tom. My number six film of the year is Manchester by the Sea, mm. which uh, there's actually some parallels with my number seven film, which was Nocturnal Animals. I mean, you have similar themes as far as coping with loss and guilt uh, the narrative is also structured similarly and that you're weaving in and out of present day and past. Uh, this movie does a thing where, so it's about uh, Casey Affleck plays the main character and he uh, essentially his brother passes away and he has a son. So he's named the guardian of his son and he's just thrust into this position where he's responsible for this kid's life. And he is not particularly stoked about being this kid's guardian. So you have the present day story of him moving to, uh, it's called Manchester, right? Isn't that the name yeah. of the city they live in? He moves to Manchester, but he wants to move back to Boston, where he's from. His relationship develops with his brother's child. But interwoven through that, we get flashbacks to his, what happened to him previously. So you learn why it is that he's so cold and reserved, because something fucked up, really fucked up, happened to him in his past. He had a divorce with his you know ex-wife and it kind of dives into like i said the loss that they suffer it's just structured in a really cool way where the flashbacks are interwoven to the main story and i thought it made for some really impactful moments because those past moments give you perspective on who he is in the present day and i thought that was really profound casey affleck gives an incredible performance Maybe the best of the year, I would say. He's got yeah, a lot of buzz behind him. Probably my I will favorite. be talking about this film a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's incredible. The script is incredible. It's 
actually really funny. Like there's moments. There are moments of humor that I thought, <laughs> you know, it's 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 much more down and depressing than it is uplifting and yeah. happy. But there yeah. are moments of humor that kind of intercut the dramatic moments. It makes that it I feel like real life. Touch. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought that kind of dampened the blow from the like kind of emotionally devastating like dramatic revelations that come out later in the film. Um, really good. Really tense depressing affecting affecting all good stuff i was a big fan all right my number five is green room directed by jeremy saulnier uh he's currently on fire after uh, green room and uh blue ruin a couple years ago and uh he takes a setting that i'm very familiar with and turns it into a genre film uh, i grew up going to hardcore shows similar to this uh, maybe not as scary. <laughs> I hope not. You weren't a white but... supremacist in your uh, previous days? <laughs> Definitely not. Different perspective on Portland. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was actually a show back in high school where I wasn't able to go because I w- had to work that night. Um, but my brother ended up going, and uh, it was at Studio 7 in Seattle. And there was a stabbing there. And they had to evacuate the premise and... Um, it just kind of felt like that. Like my brother telling me that story of that crazy night felt like green room to me, but just, you know, the film version of it obviously heightened. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, uh, the film was suspenseful. Um, Saulnier shows a master class of gore and violence. Uh, it's very sudden and, um, like the part where she takes the, uh, box cutter and slices up the dude's stomach is pretty brutal (laughs) that was hard (laughs) and um yeah the film's not afraid to kill off characters that you quickly fall in love with uh i love the running joke of the desert island band yeah and um the way they handle that at the end and um it's always nice to see movies that are filmed in the pacific northwest and um yeah this one actually serves as uh, a spot for two other movies in of the year that I wanted to touch on, and that's Don't Breathe and 10 Cloverfield Lane, which have similar settings. It's all one location, um, you know, suspenseful-type thriller. I would have loved to put all three of them on my list, but I only had room for one, and I thought Green Room was the uh, top of those three. Man, I just watched Green Room, and I was cramming. Uh, Creamin' or cramming? Uh, cramming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, studying. Um, and I thought that this movie, I mean, Matt described it as awesome. And I mean, the plot is like punk rock band plays at a neo-Nazi show and things right. get hairy, you know? And I was like, okay, this movie's it like, it knows what it is. It's going to be maybe... A little bit silly, but in a good way, really entertaining, and, you know, it's a horror movie, so I was expecting a little bit, but wow, like, right out of the gates, I was like, I am super uncomfortable, and this is not, this is taking itself pretty seriously. It's not silly at all, Uh, and that first part where the, uh, one of the characters reaches his hands out the door and bad things happen. Oh my I god. Like, I mean that's like the ugh. first real violence you see and that might be you don't the even worst. see it. I know. Oh my gosh. Because the whole time you're like they don't really give you a good look at it. You're like Until how, you how bad do. is it really? And then you see it. Oh my god. <laughs> uh 
Yeah, that movie was awesome. It didn't make my top ten, but it was really good. I agree. I, I love Green Room, and of I also love Ten Cloverfield Lane and Don't Breathe. But yeah, I would agree of those three, Green Room is the best. But yeah, didn't, I agree with did, that It didn't quite make my top my top ten, but big fan. I I would say I prefer Blue Ruin. Yeah, so do I. So that is his next movie going to be like Red Something or like I Yellow so. Flower? He actually, uh, it's actually called The Red Turtle. It already came out Really? This year. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Turtle is an animated movie oh, okay. that came out. All right. I thought maybe you were just shitting. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Cool. Good pick. I love Green Room. Yeah, good movie. Anything else? No, not for me. Where are we on? Number five? Number five. Yep. Number five for me was Kubo and the Two Strings. That is my favorite animated movie of the year. Did you guys see that? I did see it. I miss Kubo. Okay. I, I wish I had seen it. Kubo and the Two Strings is so good. It's, uh, what's it called? Stop animation. It's like claymation, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's about this boy who has to go on this like epic, magical journey um, my wife really didn't want to see it because she thought it was anime. <laughs> Not anime, for the record. Um, it's it's such a, such a magical movie. I love the the story um, and uh, and the voice acting. Matthew McConaughey is really funny, and uh, Char- Charlize Theron plays one of the characters. Um, it's just the story of a boy, uh, basically he's retracing the steps of his his ancestry and his parents and uh it's it's a feel-good movie for sure but i'm a sucker for magical realism and i thought the the movie was beautiful visually um and just a really great uplifting message for kids um and the villains were really actually kind of spooky even though it was it was claymation so i don't know great movie I definitely am bummed that I missed that one. I mean, I've been a big fan of the other stuff that they've done. I love Paranorman. That's yeah. one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I would um, think, I say this is probably my least favorite of the stuff they've done. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good, but... Did you see the Box Trolls? No, I haven't seen that, actually. Okay. I did, I, Box Trolls was good, but it's my like least favorite Paranorman. of what I have seen. Did they do Coraline They did Coraline, well. yeah. Coraline's really good. I haven't seen Coraline. I want to catch up with that one, for sure. Um, okay. My number five movie of the year is one that we've already talked about. It's The Lobster. Um, I've seen this twice now, and it still put me in a really weird mood both times. Um, leaving the theater after I saw this movie was one of the weirdest moods I was in the whole year. I just walked out of the theater, and I was really lethargic and kind of upset, and I didn't really know why. It just... As far as movies that affected me personally, this one might have evoked the strongest reaction from me. Um, Really original concept. I like that it doesn't really explain why things are the way they are. It just kind of goes with it. And it it makes sense. Like, it does a good job without being too expository of going over setting up this universe, why things are the way they are, this singles hotel where you get turned into an animal if you don't find a mate like it just is that way no one talks about it it's just a weird um and then i don't remember what animal they get turned into but the people who are caught like trying to cheat the system 
they get turned into like the animal nobody wants to be. And I don't remember what that is. I don't remember either. I know they make a comment about oh, dogs name. and everyone wants to be a dog. Tom, do you remember in the lobster the animal that people get turned into when they get they get caught? Like, do they get turned into rabbits? Is it rabbits? Is that what it is? Because that's what they hunt out in the forest. Is that what the rabbits are? I don't know. I don't actually remember them like <laughs> catching the people and then turning them into something. But there's a, there's a comment. I just rewatched it recently, and there's a comment about how people who like fail or who break the rules they get turned into the animal that nobody wants to get turned into <laughs> and i don't i don't remember if it's ever made explicitly clear but yeah it's just very weird movie very funny black comedy there's one scene in particular that i was just fucking dying where colin farrell's character is trying to court this woman who's like a sociopath. Like she feels no emotion and they're walking the grounds and they run into one of uh, his friends from the hotel and there he's in a new relationship and they've been assigned to cut like a child because it's not really working out between them. So it's, he's played by Ben Wickshaw, I think is his name and the actress that plays his, his partner and they're, they're assigned a child because if it's not working out, they assign you a kid because that seems to make things better. It's the logic <laughs> oh, yeah, that they come yeah. up with. Save but your marriage. He's with this woman who's a sociopath, and his friend's trying to talk to him and introduce him to his new kid. And I don't remember exactly what Colin Farrell says, but he basically says, like, your kid's a piece of shit. And he kicks the little kid in the shin. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I lost it. I laughed so hard. That might be one of the things I laughed at the hardest. Just because the camera is like panned out. Yeah. And you just see Colin Farrell just kick this little kid in the shin. Oh, it's so good. Um, cannot praise that movie enough. Really good. I think it's only going to get better with further rewatches. Did you guys stuff. all see Dogtooth? Yeah. I like it more than Dogtooth. I, see, see I, I think I like Dogtooth more than that. It seems like most people like Dogtooth more. Yeah. But I, Dogtooth is really good, but. The lobster for for my own personal the taste. ending of the lobster or of uh, the other movie is pretty brutal. Of, of dog lobster tooth? or dog tooth? No, dog tooth. Of dog tooth? Yeah. I only two for two then. Remember the he's he's, he's <laughs> yeah, a fucking he weird dude. Um, all right, Travis, your number right. four pick. So number four is Manchester by the Sea. And um, this was just one big emotional roller coaster. <laughs> I was laughing one minute and crying the next. Um, it's very high drama, but it has a good sense of humor, and um, characters have real conversations, and uh, they don't shy away from all the crappy things you have to deal with in a situation like this, and I'm not going to spoil any of the big moments of it, um, but yeah, Casey Affleck had the best performance of the year, in my opinion. Uh, he deserves the Oscar, and I hope he takes it home. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more Michelle Williams in it. Yeah. That's true. She was scenes. really good. She was good for like four minutes. She's good yeah. in everything. I feel like that's just kind of her <laughs> role now. Like she's always spectacular, but she doesn't get yeah. enough leading roles. Their last scene together was pretty incredible. That's yeah, that's true. And yeah. um this movie has my favorite line of dialogue all year. You might know which line I'm talking about. I'm not gonna not say off the top of my head, okay. but it made me crumble. This pretty brutal <laughs> we can talk about that after. we don't want to spoil anything because like part of like the reveal of, of what happened yeah. with that character well, is what makes it so good the way the movie was edited i mean you kind of touched on this before but um it doesn't explain to you, everything to you right away mm-hmm. like you're kind of guessing what's going on and then 
slowly as the scenes reveal themselves, you kind of pick up the pieces. Yeah. And, uh, why is Casey Affleck such a dick? Oh, yeah. that's yeah. why. Like, yeah, I did not <laughs> expect that to be like the flashback type of movie. I thought it was just going to be like the development of him and and his his uh, brother's kid. But right, and yeah, saying that his brother passed away is not a spoiler. I mean, it's kind of what sets the movie up. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot more. Oh yeah, I wasn't expecting what came after. That, yeah, for sure. That was yeah. just a, I, I, a little too much, but. I mean, shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. But yeah, Manchester by the Sea, number four. Good choice. Uh, my number four is Midnight Special. Ooh, we already talked yeah. about. Like you said, the first 30 minutes or so of that movie yeah. are incredible. It's arguably the best part of the movie when you're yeah. really, really not sure what's going on. But that scene where they are driving the car at night and uh, they're really trying to stay on the down low, they turn off their, their high beams and they put on night vision goggles. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? This is amazing. <laughs> uh, I was hooked like from the, from the get go. And I just kept thinking of this movie the whole year. Uh, Cause when did, when did it come out? It came out pretty early. It's like, oh, like February March, or March. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty early on. So I saw it when it was in theaters and I, I just thought about it the whole year. Um, they don't play around with like, is this, real life or not what what's happening uh does this kid actually have special powers like they pretty pretty early on say okay yeah he's got special powers and that's kind of what you were talking about like with the action scenes really well paced out and um just well done and uh and the ending is kind of ambiguous but i thought that was kind of ambiguous (laughs) it was was ambiguous ambiguous you know yeah uh, I like that about it, though. This, totally. That I don't see how you could have done that movie any other way and made it <coughs> as as uh, impactful or interesting as it was. So, Michael Shannon, love that guy. Um, and uh, who's the other actor who was also in Loving? Oh, Joel, uh, Joel Edgerton. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah, really he's coming out of nowhere. So I'm into that guy now too. Um, Adam Driver too is pretty good. That's in right. It too. I totally forgot he was in that. Um, yeah, great movie. Yeah, I, now I'm pissed that you both put it on your list because I was like, I was like, I don't know if this movie's gonna come up or not, and I really want to put it on my list, but I'm I decided not. It's for the best then. I'm glad yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad I made both of yours. Got a lot of airtime. That was one of the hardest. That was one of the hardest. It made my list this morning. So. This, yeah, I I kept going back and forth. I, I'm glad it ended up on your guys' list. I'm hoping we get another like early 2017 sci-fi movie because last year we got Ex Machina. Ex Machina, which was my like one of the yeah. best movies I've seen and in a really long time. And then we got Midnight Special and then I'm like, please give me an amazing sci-fi Alien movie Covenant. in February. <laughs> Alien Covenant. Covenant. <laughs> yeah, dude. Why not? Hey, that looks good. I'm excited for it. It does look good. I am excited for that. All right. My number four is actually a very recent addition to this list. Uh, I saw this on Thursday with Travis and this is 20th Century Women. This is uh, Mike Mills' latest film. Uh, the last film he made was Beginners with uh, Ewan McGregor and fucking old dude. I can't remember his name. Uh, Famous actor. Christopher Plummer. Is that his name? Christopher Plummer. Is that who it is? I think so. That sounds right. I don't remember. Tom's looking Back at that. Check. But I'll, I'll talk about 20th Century Women while Tom's confirming this for us. Fucking um, old dude. <laughs> let me Google fucking old dude. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I had high hopes for this movie, and I was really looking forward to it. So I was glad I was able to catch up with it before we recorded this. 
but I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Yeah. Um, the gist is the central character is this 15-year-old boy, and his mother is played by Annette Benning, who gives an incredible performance, just a clinic in understated acting. Like there's there's nothing about her performance that rings false. There's nothing showy. There's no Jake Gyllenhaal in here, you know, just over the top, going too hard. I don't hate on Jake Gyllenhaal. It's I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I love him, but he is a little she's a showy actor. Um she is just incredible. There's not a ton of dramatic moments where she can really like, you know, give a give a showy performance where she's just like really hitting you in the gut. But the way she talks, the way the dialogue is written, the way she delivers her lines, absolutely incredible. Greta Gerwig is in this as well. She's really good. Elle Fanning plays uh, the friend of the central character. Essentially, she's probably my favorite character. In she was really book. good. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's about uh, Anna Benning uh, is a single mother, and there's these other women in her son's life. Greta Gerwig plays this uh, woman in her late twenties. I'm guessing she's supposed to be. Um, I mean, they they give the dates explicitly because the movie does this thing where it it does like a background of each character or it says like the year they were born and the cultural events that like kind of formulated yeah. what made them into the women they became. And the film which takes I thought place was... 1979 Los Angeles. The present day. Yeah. This Santa, Santa Barbara, I think is where it's actually yeah. set. Um, but essentially Annette Benning's character kind of tries to convince these other two women to help her raise her son because there's not like a strong male perspective. So it's kind of about what it is to be a good man, but from a feminine perspective. So it's a very feminist movie. Timely. There's punk rock in it. There's incredible performances. It's really funny. It's poignant. Um, by the end of the film, it was one of the few times this year where I recall just, I didn't want the movie to end like i just wasn't ready for the movie to be over and i was really sad when the credits rolled um the last shot is beautiful it's so way. good god <laughs> this and there's the, the, the scenes where like they're they're driving on the highway and it does this thing where oh, it's, like, yeah. it's like sped up trip. it has like yeah it has like a psychedelic um you it know tinge to like, it um, like 2001 Floating baby. Yeah, like the coast. Yeah, floating baby. <laughs> a little floating fetus just hovering over the car. Um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, absolutely love this movie. I'm, I'm glad I saw it before we recorded yes. this. Is this just the old guy? outside my top. No, show. that's not the old guy. There's no Who old is this jabroni? This Did you there look for is. beginners? Hmm? Oh, I thought you were talking about 20th century women. No, I was talking about, we were talking about the old guy in Mike Mills' last film, which was beginners. Yeah. Damn it, Tom. Oh, my bad. Hold on a second. All right, before we move on, I think is it is it Christopher Plummer? Yeah, it's Christopher Plummer. All right, should have trusted Travis. Point to Travis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my number four pick. We uh, are on number three, three, correct? Yep. All right, Hacksaw Ridge. Mel Gibson. Number three, Hacksaw Hack. Ridge. Haven't oh, seen yeah. it. Oh um, man. <laughs> can't throw any it's amazing um it's one of the most entertaining and inspirational films of the year the best film about faith this year silence no silence (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's good to see mel gibson back um he's an incredible action director and uh i think he creates something as memorable here as saving private ryan 
I know it's high praise, but as memorable as Saving that. Private Ryan, get <laughs> my favorite war film since The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker sucked too. Oh my god, no, it didn't. You're Hurt so Locker, wrong. all right, maybe it was awesome. Maybe sucked is a little strong, but that's the backlash for that is unwarranted. It's real. It's real. <laughs> no. Fuck the Hurt Locker. Uh, yes, it's an incredible true story. Uh, the montage sequence, uh, the lead character Desmond Doss saving all of his fellow soldiers is probably one of my favorite sequences of the year. It's, I mean, yeah, it's just incredible. Um, and I also like the real life footage at the end. They show like some documentary footage of Desmond Doss and um, just seeing the actual character put like the nice final touch on it. Where does it take place? Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, that's that's the name of the the physical location. But is it in like? I don't. Uh, know. Japan. I was gonna say Japan. Okay. The Pacific. Pacific so it, yeah world war Two, and they were fight it's the battle of okinawa but yeah the physical location they call it they call it hacksaw ridge yeah it's this crazy like cliff face that they have to scale and they get to the top and it's just fucking bloodbath like yeah it's insane it, it is really like, good sounds like the normandy storming saving private ryan scene you can draw comparisons yeah, yeah. i don't but, think it i don't think it's on the level of like the storm in the beaches at normandy and saving private ryan but it it is very good like i i was talking shit before but mm. i i really like hacksaw ridge it's yeah i'd like to see it also excited to see Bloodfather. yeah another gibson. yeah talk about oh, mel yeah. gibson comeback <laughs> i didn't see it but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't uh, matter it was made <laughs> he's back that's all it that matters <laughs> Uh, I wish this was what American Sniper was the year before. Uh, I don't like American Sniper, but... Oh, piece of uh, shit. I fucking hate American Sniper. I just know it made a ton of money, and I wish that uh, Hacksaw Ridge would have got the same kind of attention. And uh, I did like Andrew Garfield a lot. He's a charismatic charismatic and likable actor, and uh, his on-screen relationship with with, uh, Teresa Palmer was um, yeah, likable as well. And yeah, I mean, this was just one movie. It was probably like the first movie I had seen all year where I was just entertained throughout. I didn't like check my cell phone. I wasn't bored. I just loved it from start to finish. So yeah, it's my number three. Cool. Solid pick. Yeah, I'll definitely watch that. Um, number three for me was Manchester by the Sea. So back to that. Uh, <laughs> All of my, I, I have like three movies that you that you got on your list, but they're just like two <laughs> steps higher. Um, so let me just follow Travis again. Uh, Manchester by the Sea was upsetting and powerful and really, really fucking depressing, and and just so well done. Casey Affleck was, like Matt said, I mean, I think it was the best performance of the year. Um, you know, he, he was haunting. And uh, I thought the kid was really good, too. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good, too. Um, I don't I, remember his name. I, I don't either, but he's definitely going to be in more stuff. Um, yeah, like we said, Michelle Williams, her, her four minutes were awesome, too. But <laughs> uh, I think that just the, the story as it unfolds um, added a lot of depth to it that I wasn't expecting. And um, the ending is harsh and realistic and um you know rural northeastern life probably doesn't get a lot of attention um so that was a totally new perspective as well yeah absolutely big fan of that film 
My number three pick is Arrival, Woo, okay. which, we, which has come up before. Um, I'm a huge Denny Villeneuve fanboy. Uh, this is the guy who did Sicario, yeah. Enemy, which is my favorite film that year, yeah. uh, Prisoners, Incendies, arguably the best director working right now. I'll cream, I'll cream all day. Travis is making a jerk off gesture, but I would jerk him off. He, I'm a huge fan. I love science fiction films with heavy concepts where like the core of the film comes from what the movie is trying to say about humanity. We talked about Ex Machina earlier. I can draw some comparisons as far as like my love for those two movies and kind of what they're saying. Um, Beginning to end, incredible visuals. I yeah. thought the design of the aliens is really good. The design of the ship was really interesting. Something ship was I super seen cool. Before. Uh, the performances, Amy Adams gives a really good performance. Jeremy Renner, just, you know, good touch. on the screen. Classic Jeremy Renner. Just being Jeremy <laughs> Renner. <laughs> he's a not nice really, he's just kind of there. Uh, the escalation of the conflict as far as like how it progresses, I thought it was really interesting as far as um what the movie says about international diplomacy because it does this thing where you have oh. the the ships land in 12 different countries across the world um but there's this kind i guess you call it a subplot where like specific countries make power moves as far as like cutting off communication and not giving out their information that they found because they're all independently talking to the aliens and trying to figure out what's going on um which I thought was really interesting. It's very similar in theme and plot to Slaughterhouse-Five, which is fine with me because that's one of my favorite books ever. Um, I thought the emotional impact of it was really good as far as the revelation that you find at the end as far as Amy Adams' character. Mm-hmm. Um, looked beautiful, very well written. Um, I have nothing but nice things to say about Arrival. I saw it with my dad uh, at the end of the movie, he had no idea what he had just watched. So I had to kind of like (laughs) hit plot points like, Oh, well it's actually, you know, she can see all of time, but Mm -hmm. she can, you know, we had to go over all those plot points, the revelation. That's fair. It is. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not completely following it, it gets, it gets a little murky around there. So like I was on board with it. You can, you can poke holes in it. If like, Mm -hmm. it's a science fiction film where you can poke holes in it. If you're that kind of piece of shit who's just going to try and poke holes in the plot. Like, that's that's not what the movie is about to me. Mm-hmm. There are movies where if it's very plot heavy and you can poke holes in the character motivations or just how that world functions, it annoys me. But I feel like it's vague enough that you can poke holes in it, but they're never explicit as far as some, the way that her perception of time works. I mean, there. I can definitely see there. There's some detractors from this movie. Yeah. Okay. So, I think I forgot how much I actually like really was on the edge of my seat for a lot of this film because the, like the political power plays you were talking about were really cool, um, and and you know the the build intention, but. I mean, can we just talk about the time travel stuff? It yeah. I mean, like, we can. I mean, yeah, we can. It we can was, spoil it a little bit. It kind of came out of nowhere for me, and and I instantly started poking holes in it. But that's not normally what I do. I just felt like, uh, I, I don't know. It I, it just didn't work for me. I, I felt like 
Wasn't it on your top ten though? Yeah, it was number nine. But I think oh, if okay. the, if it had had a little bit more concrete of an explanation for what was yeah. going on with the time travel, because didn't it show her like teaching classes on like if you learn the language, then you you perceive time differently? Yeah. Well, that um, was that was in within like the actual plot of the film, like beginning point to end point. That was later, but the right. way it's edited together, you don't you don't know at the time. Like all this stuff with Jeremy Renner. Um, I mean, you don't actually see him, but like the kid that they have is, is their kid yeah. and you don't know until after the fact, like what you think are flashbacks are actually flash right. forwards. Right. So the way it deals with time, I thought was really interesting. And that's kind of where that comes from because that's her teaching classes on how to learn this language because learning the language is what was able to help her. That's, that's how she gained access to this ability to perceive yeah. time in the way that the aliens do. So I think my two issues with that were, one, she was teaching this class, but there was also the sense that she was special somehow, like she was imbued with this ability. Because, yeah, I mean, she was at the forefront of the field in learning how to communicate with these aliens, but she was nowhere near She's where like, she ended up, right? She's like Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. She was a redhead uh, <laughs> in a dark tone movie. Um, so that was one thing that kind of bugged me. And then the other thing was, okay, now she has this ability, but I, I didn't really get it. I guess the ending was, we've helped you, now you help us. But... Well, yeah, don't they, make, don't they make a comment about them coming back in a certain amount of years or something like that? That's what it was. It was like, we, we need, like, 3,000 years from to, now like, or something. We need your yeah. help. So that's why we're going to teach time you. or something like that because we're going to need you in the future. But there must have been – you might have to remind me. Was there, like, a unifying element between the different countries of, of the Earth that had, had experienced this with the aliens, their ships landing? Like, was there a, hey, let's help you guys – figure your shit out so that you can work together and then help us in the future. Did they really communicate that or? Well, I mean, that was the thing. Like part of the struggle was figuring out how to communicate with them. So different countries came to different conclusions because part of the theme of the movie is just like linguistics and how words have double meanings mm -hmm. and you can try and teach someone, but they don't necessarily understand what they're saying a lot of it was just trying to interpret what they were saying because the Chinese thought that they were implicating war because there was yes, some, there was a trope, a weapon a weapon but it, but Amy Adams her perspective was like you have to you have to consider like the way they're interpreting this they don't necessarily mean weapon it can mean tool or mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm. so that, that I thought that Which was, was really language too I guess. exactly. Uh, um, I think what really would have brought it home for me personally is if they had tied in, okay, you're learning this ability, but it's to help you guys, like China and the U.S., work out your issues as, as part of that story. So, um, I mean, I, I totally get where the movie was going, but yeah, I don't know. That's it's what I was looking for. It's one I'd like for. to watch again. I feel like I kind of lost it like towards the yeah, like, maybe turn. Second watching and, movie, but yeah. I really I feel like a lot of movies that are about big things I used to have to watch twice. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, yep, that's all I got to say about Arrival. I think I think that's a totally valid place to put it. Just wasn't there for me. Loved it. All about it. All right, Travis. Yeah. All right, number two. Number two, huh? the ultimate cool pick right here <laughs> is. 
Cretia. Cretia at number two with the Have wild card. That, oh my god. Croatia? <laughs> it's on Amazon now, so check it out. Oh, that's he actually bad. has a producer credit. That's my bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is um, Trey Edward Schultz's first feature. Uh, he's the same age as me, and um, I just admire the talent that he possesses at such a young age. It's quite an impressive debut. Um, I watched this really late one night during my Thanksgiving staycation, and I was just transfixed the entire time I was watching it. Um, it opens up with like an extended long take, and it just sucked me in. And like I just sat there in a daze as like the credits rolled, because like I just of what I just experienced was something I've really never even seen before. Um, like Wiener Dog, the film does so much with so little. Uh, you can tell it's a, like a micro budget. It has an unknown cast, and it's all filmed in one location. Uh, it's basically about the lead character, Cretia. She comes back to visit her family for Thanksgiving, and you can definitely tell that something's happened where she's not so welcome, but she's been able to mend the relationship enough to where she's invited over for Thanksgiving dinner, and then drama ensues. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a great lead performance by Cretia. Fairchild, um, and um, it had a pretty interesting score. It was very experimental and something I've never really heard, but I thought it was cool nonetheless. Very and, uh, like, um, it, it's not a horror movie. But it, at times, it, <laughs> it felt like a horror movie. Like yeah, the, uh, the score for sure. Um, very very intense. Um, the way it's filmed during certain sequences, it, it kind of has the cadence of a horror movie. It's very flashy for like what it's working with. Like it's basically filmed in a house, but it it stays interesting with all of its editing and film tactics. And um, yeah, I mean, although it's heightened like Green Room, uh, it's a family drama that hit a little close to home for me. Uh, not saying I deal with I've dealt with something similar to this, but. Um, you know, something along these lines. So it was kind of a personal choice for me. But yeah, I mean, it just blew me away. And so uh, I feel like it deserves some high praise. So yeah, that's Cretia. Cool. Fair enough. I, I like Cretia a fair bit, but not enough to put it on my list. I'll watch it. You should. It's on Am <laughs> it's Amazon, right? That's what it's on? Yeah. And it's should like, I save it for next Thanksgiving? It's like 90 minutes. <laughs> it's very, it's it, a very, it's definitely double feature. Planes, trains, <laughs> and automobiles. Yeah. Cretia double feature <laughs> for sure. You might want to start with Cretia. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Finish it off with, yeah. with the uh, Lighten it up a little bit. positive note. Cool. Uh, number two movie for me was La La Land. I'm sure that's going to be coming up we'll again. See. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> La La Land was such a spectacular movie. Um, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are both trying to get into the LA scene in their own ways. Uh, Ryan Gosling wants to be a jazz musician and own a jazz club. Emma Stone wants to be an actress. And uh, she works as a barista, and Ryan Gosling's character works just playing stupid, terrible Christmas piano songs at, at <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> Um, when he sit, when he sits down at the piano for the yeah. first time with that club and he just starts playing like jingle bells yeah. or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> and <laughs> no one so notices. Yeah. No one notices because they don't give a shit about what he's playing. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a musical, and to get this much, I mean, I feel like good musicals always get 
more acclaim maybe than than they should because it's a kind of a lost art and people don't appreciate it so people who do appreciate it really want to spin that and make people get back into that that genre um but it's super accessible and it doesn't um it doesn't shy away from like real life issues and and trying to make relationships work and uh you've got two different people pursuing two different dreams and they're trying to make it work um and you just have to see where the story goes um but it was funny and it was sad and it was jubilant and even though emma stone and ryan gosling are not the i mean they're not who you would pick for an opera <laughs> or it's they're um, not they're not christina aguilera and, no you know they're, they're Justin great Timberlake. voices yeah but. yeah they they hold their own you know yeah absolutely they, they make it through but that's not really what's even important which is one of the other really cool things about it being a musical you know you didn't have superstar talents it wasn't dream girls you know so <laughs> uh yeah that's my number two solid pick we might still be talking about it moving forward maybe maybe my number two pick <laughs> is swiss army man Oh, okay. I this movie has stuck with me since the first time I saw it. Came out over the summer. It's a great uh, movie. I felt deep sadness, immense joy, disgust in more ways than one. Like, yeah, I was awed by the visuals. I thought Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe gave incredible performances. They had good chemistry. They did. They did. Yeah. For a corpse and uh, a weirdo <laughs> living on an island together. Yeah. Yeah. Quite good chemistry. Um, we actually had another submission for a favorite film of 2016. Let me get this pulled up real quick. This comes in from Robert B. here in Seattle. Friend of mine. Friend of the show. Hey, you're running about Swiss Army, man. <laughs> he said, I wanted to write in and pimp Swiss Army, man, is my personal favorite film of 2016. First off, pro props must be given to any film that can devote five minutes to farting and come away <laughs> from cans with the Palme d'Or for best pic or best director. Excuse me. It's more like 20 minutes of farting. That's, there's a lot of farting. <laughs> it's good stuff. Not only that, but the film transcends the cartoonish and immature premise to address loneliness, obsession, the many snags and downfalls with romantic relationships, optimism, realism, surrealism, and more. It's a tour de force and absurdity of the stars, two of the best, two of the best, two of the best actors of our bastards. moment. Those bastards. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, that bastard. A hilarious and touching exploration of relationships that has an amazing production design and sympathetic message that I hope isn't overlooked at the Oscars this year. It's going to be overlooked. It will be, yeah. It's going to be overlooked. <laughs> yeah. I agree, but not by me. Not by me. Fair enough. Hey, Here it, today. It just missed my top 10. Yeah, was me too. number 11. Me too. It's, oh my God, You know, so one good. of the things I loved about that movie. Special. Fuck it. <laughs> It'll do that. Uh, I loved... I mean, it's like you said, it's a story about loneliness and about love, but Daniel Radcliffe as this like ignorant corpse figure asks the most childish, basic, like baseline questions the whole time. And it's just stuff you don't even think about anymore. You know, like if you are pursuing someone, for example, like, why am I doing this? Why wouldn't this be an okay thing to say to a person? Yeah. 
you know, and it it's silly, but uh, it just makes you reevaluate things and just adds so much character and life to that story. There's just there's just something like moving about like absolutely the, the conversations they have about relationships and people and what what is kosher in popular society like things you can say things yeah. you can't say like one of the themes of the movie is that like flatulence is not something that you talk about you know yeah. you don't just like openly fart when you're just hanging out which is that sounds so stupid but it's i mean it's true like the fact that like one of the main like tropes in the movie is flatulence mm-hmm. like not only is it something to talk about but it's like an actual mechanic in it's the their film. mode of transportation yeah, yeah. like he's <laughs> Oh my god, it's so good! <laughs> and the ending of the movie, it gets real dark, yeah, and you don't really serious. know, <laughs> you don't really know where it's going or what it's going for, yeah. And then the the very end of the movie just like brought it around for me, hit it out of the park. I know people are very like conflicted on the ending. I loved it. I was all about it. Just I thought it was perfect. The re- perfect ending to that movie. Like the reactions from the different characters. Like you have a Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character who I think actually says what the fuck when she right. sees them. Right. Oh, the yeah. dad. Like they show um, uh, Paul Dano's dad. He just like he smiles. He's Clapping just like kind of laughing. Yeah. It's, just, it's so perfect. Um, it's one that I've only seen once. I want to revisit it. But yeah. It, me too. it stuck with me. I saw it in july or whenever it came out and it's just absolutely adore that film i kind of regret not having it on my list but um yeah, I knew it was going to be high up on yours so <laughs> i thought i'd make room for a couple other ones <laughs> they were probably two of my favorite characters to spend time with on screen though oh, like so it was just so much fun hanging out in the woods with them too it's just really touching like yeah. robert uh mentioned it in his in his email but like the production design like some of the stuff that they they create out in the woods like the bus this the bus scene oh, yeah. where he's talking about looking out the window and the revelation that you have about the the picture in his phone there's so much good stuff in this yeah. movie i cannot praise this movie enough but that brings us to our number one picks of the year i have a feeling yeah I think I already know what Matt's is. I already know. I know what yours is, too. Why don't you start us off? What's your number one film in the air? Should we uh, maybe let Tom go first, and then we just tag team it at the end? That's Ouch. probably a good idea. Sorry, I man. think I, yeah. All right, all right. Save okay. the for last. My number one film was Moonlight, because it was perfect. <laughs> uh, told a story that, I mean... N- None of my circle of friends have ever experienced. Um, and that has never been on the big screen that, that I'm aware of, or, or at least not in, in a way that has made any impact on anybody. In that particular, like, all of the... the like, it yeah, you very... just want to talk about, like, significance of, like, the film itself or the story that's being told. It's, it's uh, kind of first of its kind. Um, I love the way that it's told in three parts shows the development of a character over their, their childhood and, and young adult life. Um, I think that's done really well. I thought all the performances were fantastic. Um, whoever plays the main character when he's a teenager, um, there are moments where you just feel what he's feeling just as a teenager, you know? Um, and that's all exacerbated by the fact that he's black and gay and in a impoverished neighborhood with a crack addicted mother um, and no support system. Um, 
it's a story about self-discovery. It's a story about, um, about sociological issues. Um, but it, that was the most affecting movie of the year. I thought about that movie. I mean, that was never, there was never a question really whether or not that was going to be my favorite movie of the year. So, yeah, I might be alone here, but hey, I, I think that's number six for me. It did it. You're not alone. Did it. I yeah. I mean, I I, I definitely very much appreciated like the internal conflict with Sharon's character, mm. as far as like Travis mentioned this, like in the third act, uh, the the appearance that he's he's presenting to the world is oh, yeah. it takes you, know, you by surprise. He's ripped. Yeah. He's got the the gold teeth. He, you know, I think he's a drug dealer. I thought the mother was going to get some more like supporting actress well, and um, acclaim. Yeah, she There's was. that she scene was. where he he tries to act all tough and put that guy in his place, but it's almost as if he's like joking, like he knows he can get away with that, but that's not really him. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that I feel like that's the biggest theme in the movie. Yeah, like, he's just he's not comfortable in his own skin, and it's yeah. part of his upbringing where he grew up like that's not okay where he's from so like he just had to like stuff down this part of himself and he's never been able to truly be himself like he has that conversation in the third act when they're adults where he goes to that diner with and he he discloses to his old friend that he's the only person i think he says i ever did that with he's Mm -hmm. referring to the fact that there, there's a yeah. scene in the second act where they're on the beach and they kiss and there might be some hand stuff that goes on. <laughs> I don't quite remember, but no, that, that like happened. that <laughs> stuff that definitely happened. That that touched me definitely. Like I, mm-hmm. I I felt that and I I wish I liked it more than I did. And like hearing you guys talking about it, like man, rewatch it. Like you remember the scene where he's teaching him how to swim, where uh, in the Re- first Remy Dan from House of Cards. Yeah. In the first, act. I do like that scene a lot, but uh, I feel like it's almost overdone now because that's yeah. like every like rebirth scene now is someone coming up from water. Yeah, with the imagery of it, I am. Yeah, no, maybe it's a little cliche. Good. I mean, yeah, it looked beautiful. It's a beautiful film for sure. It is beautiful. Okay, that's my number one. Sounds like we got the same number one film. Oh, I'm just gonna three. count down from three, three and you one, guys two, can three. say it at the same yeah. time, please. We'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. La La Land. Land. Wow, <laughs> you guys yeah. should be in a musical together. That was like <laughs> on point. I God, I, this was my most anticipated movie of the year. Huge fan of the gauze. I would marry him in a heartbeat if I could. <laughs> Emma Stone. I'm a huge fan of her. I love Crazy Stupid Love, which they were. Oh yeah. They worked together I on do that love film. Everything about this movie. Uh, visually, it looks stunning. It has this Technicolor kind of style to it. I still listen to the songs. Like, I have them on my phone. I listen to music yeah. from the film. The choreography is beautiful. Like, there's that scene um, early on in the movie where they're, uh, they're up after that the party. Well, not the observatory. They go to that party where yeah. Ryan Gosling's in that like '80s cover band. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's her back to her that car. Scene. I'm not a huge fan of that song, but like the dance number, just the two of them, them dancing in the street, I thought was beautiful. Um, I really connected with it in terms of the themes of, you know, 
pursuing your dreams, but also that internal conflict where you've just been bashing your head against the wall for so long that you come to realize, like, am I good enough? Like, can I do this? Am I just going to be another person who tries their whole life because it's their dream, but it's a pipe dream, you know? Like, I, I can definitely um, empathize with that. Like, that really struck me. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to be a professional basketball player for like 15 years now. It's just not happening. It could, don't give up your dreams, Tom. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just the, the themes of going for your dreams, the romance in the film. Um, I've been through some shit in my own personal romantic life, and some of the things that happened in this movie really touched me. Um, I absolutely adore this film. Everything about it, it all rings true. There's been some backlash on it. In the recent months, months, I guess, it just came out in December. Mm. People are talking shit on this movie. And I feel <laughs> like... like yeah, I be an example. Well, I mean, there's a lot of backlash because people feel like it's derivative. And there's some, you know, pinky like finger... That's you can just say. Pinky finger in the air film critics who are like, well, this, uh, it's derivative because you haven't seen uh, The Umbrellas of Schoberg or whatever this film is like. Oh heavily influenced yeah. by musicals of the that's time like his favorite film of all time yeah Chanel. and it is which yeah. he made this movie he was influenced by it so it yeah. makes sense that you can see the parallels there right. but i think just because like i'm not a big musical fan i haven't seen a ton of musicals the ones i have seen have been kind of corny mm -hmm. but just because i don't have that context like it's impossible to have context for every film you see every yeah. film is made by someone who was influenced by films that definitely impacted their overall vision. You know, like I feel like I can definitely see that that's a fair criticism, but that didn't affect my viewing of the film. Like I was on board start to finish. I laughed. I cried. I had a smile on my face. Did Absolutely you have a, loved it. Yeah. a boner the whole time. <laughs> Rock hard boner, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'll probably echo everything uh, Tom and uh, Matt have already said about it, but um, yeah, it was my favorite film experience all year. Um, musicals are usually a genre I shy away from, um, but yeah, it actually made me a fan of them and makes me want to catch up on some classics like Singing in the Rain. Um, I actually was planning on seeing a screen of that tonight. It's playing at the Cinemark, but we're doing the podcast instead, so... Bummer. I'll have to buy the Blu-ray or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also liked... I mean, it was very L.A., and I liked all the L.A. imagery of it. Um, I just visited L.A. in October, and uh, we visited the Griffith Observatory, and the shot, it's like a montage of um, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling hanging out together, and uh, they pan on Ryan Gosling City down at the Grand Central Market, and we actually sat at that same place. Like, we tried the place, you know, it was like some pupusa place or something like that, but... It was cool seeing all the um, iconic imagery of L.A. And, um, yeah, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone play off each other pretty well. Um, they portray two struggling artists who want to experience success so badly in each of their fields. And um, it shows what you have to lose in order to achieve your goals and dreams. And, um, yeah, it was bittersweet ending. Um, great music and visuals throughout. City of Stars by Ryan Gosling is probably my favorite piece from the movie. Um, and the opening sequence, too. I like the, the intro song, yeah, Another yeah. Day in the Sun. Intro was So fun. catchy. I've just heard so many people 
say, you know, talk about how they don't like musicals and then they went to see this movie and they were like, wow, that mm-hmm. was really good. Like I had so much fun and I, I didn't think I was going to have fun. Which I don't understand how that can be a criticism. Like, No, I'm not, so uh, many, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying you think it's a criticism. Yeah. I'm saying generally speaking, like the people who love musicals like maybe are a little down on this movie uh, because, because we've it's seen it's seen a little it too accessible yeah exactly <laughs> which is, is bullshit like yeah. i love the fact that it's accessible and people who normally don't love movie or musicals love this movie which is a good thing because it's making me want to go back like travis said and watch some of these musicals that influence this one because i love this film so much like mm-hmm. the fact that it makes me want to go back and dive deep into a genre that I really honestly don't have a ton of familiarity with. Totally. I think that's a huge yeah. positive. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, it's probably a movie that I'm going to go, you know, watch this over and over throughout the years. And um, Ryan Gosling can do no wrong. He can act, he can sing, he can dance, he can play piano like a pro. I mean, he's, yeah. Total dream, bro. He's a god. <laughs> and I, I, like, I feel like I can't say enough good things about the epilogue in this movie like you mentioned that it's bittersweet but yeah. like that hit like a punch in the gut oh yeah yeah, it, yeah. i cry you have so much fun during this movie and at the end yeah. you're like i don't <laughs> know how i feel god anymore. damn it it was <laughs> wow. absolutely Very conflicting, yeah for sure well that's our top 10 list guys we did it we went a little long um, sure did Almost so let's two hours so far let's um let's go over our honorable mentions so they some of them have come up over the course of the podcast, but yeah. stuff that we saw that we really like, it didn't quite make it onto our top 10. Um, I'll, I'll start. Um, Silence, which I talked about a little bit. It's Martin Scorsese's new film, 30 years in the making, two hours and 40 really? minutes long. Yeah. He minutes. originally optioned uh, um, the rights of this film in like 1988 or something. And wow. nobody wanted to finance it. And this movie was mostly financed by like personal investors um absolutely incredible adam driver's great andrew garfield's great um great story about religious conviction um big fan midnight special really wish i had been able to make that on my top 10 mm. moonlight for sure hell or high water big fan hacksaw ridge uh the fits which is a movie that we haven't talked about I heard that was good um, yeah it's really good it's very good um it's on amazon I think is where it's streaming. So got a beautiful runtime. It's like seventy something. Eighty two minutes, minutes nice. or something. Just <laughs> yes. crank that out. That's if you're trying to catch about. up, do some cramming. Um, and then what else? Light Between Oceans is another one that I uh, really I loved that. that a lot of people weren't super huge on. Did you see that? No, I didn't see it, but uh, Sarah did. She, she wasn't a big fan. That's okay. She's wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, classic. Kind of melodrama feel, similar to like maybe like a Douglas Sirk film, circa 1955. Really good. Michael Fassbender's incredible. Alicia Vikander, Rachel Wise, incredible performances. Sad, looks beautiful. The Nice Guys, another one that I love. The Gauze. That's on my honorable mentions. The Gauze, so good. Um, Keeping that best up. <laughs> uh, loving Jeff Nichols' other film that was released this year, mm. which. Most people, I feel like, prefer to Midnight Special, it seems like. But they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. Yeah, I'm glad we're unanimous. I love both. I <laughs> Not love by both. much, yeah. I both like great both. films. Um, and then my last honorable mention is The Edge of Seventeen. It's got a John Solid Hughes choice. feel. It's a teen uh, drama, comedy. Um, Dramedy. 
dramedy, if you will. Kind of like Juno, but but way better, the, way uh, better than Juno. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. It's emotional. Um, I'm blanking on the actresses. Haley Lee Steinfeld, right? Yeah, she's incredible. Uh, Blake Jenner, who was in Everybody, Everybody Wants Some, yeah. he plays her brother. I thought he's really good in it too. Yeah. Um, a modern classic as far as like teenage high school films. Really good. Um, Travis, your honorable mentions. I'm gonna fire off a ten through or twenty through eleven. If that's cool. That's well, what I just did. It. So All right. fire them <laughs> off. So twenty. Don't breathe. Um, we t- touched on it earlier. Just a solid thriller. I had zero expectations for. Uh, Look kind of dumb from the trailer, to be honest. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was actually really good. Uh, Captain Fantastic. We haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, That'd be my number yeah, nineteen. Yeah, I love that. Um, eighteen, the Fitz. Matt just touched on that. And uh, seventeen, Zootopia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sixteen, American Honey, which mm. I don't think did you either of you see? I no. didn't see it. No. I that was a movie I wanted to like. You know, I want it to More. be in my top ten, but um, yeah, I mean, it's really good. I don't really have anything negative to say about it. It just, you know, wasn't as special as the other ones. Sure, sure. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People at number fifteen. Matt touched on that earlier, and then uh, fourteen, ten Cloverfield Lane, thirteen Sing Street. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like that's been brought up yet. It's in my top thirty. Okay, love Sing good. Street. Tom, did you see that? No, I've been putting it off because I'm not interested. Now. It's really good. Did Get you interested. See, it's really good. Uh, did you All ever right. see Once? Once? Yeah. No. No. It's also. I just really feel good. like I've already By, seen that uh, movie in another John capacity. Kite. You haven't. Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> really all I needed good. to hear, honestly. And if you like '80s music, and it's yeah, it's like it touches on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> it is a good coming of age story if that does anything for you. Uh, and to round it out, the last two, uh, number 12, 20th century women, and then number 11, Swiss army man. Okay. Solid. Um, wow. Well, the only thing that I have on my honorable mentions that hasn't been listed is L and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. I really don't know. Honestly, I feel like I need a couple months to digest that movie. Yeah. I saw <laughs> that. Film. You saw it? Yeah. I okay. It. Okay. Uh, I feel the same way. I don't really know what to think about it. No, I mean, I didn't love it or hate it. I think a little bit is lost in translation. Yeah, like um, I don't get the message he was really going for. Yeah, and I think I'm missing like language cues. You're not part of that rape culture, that's why. Well, that too, <laughs> but it is a French film, so there's also subtitles. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's intense. It opens with a woman being raped. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't really stop throughout the film. That continues in many different capacities. Um, it's unsettling. It's disturbing. Uh, leaves you thinking, for sure. But uh, whether or not it really like hit home for me in a way that I understand, I gotta go with a no. <laughs> so, yeah. honorable mention, but you want to throw some love on anything else? Yeah, we... totally. Uh, okay, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Captain Fantastic, Don't Breathe. The Nice Guys was hilarious. It's so good. It's I so love good. Ryan Gosling in a comedic role. Like, he's got, I don't know, he's just got something about him. His timing or something is like... His timing is impeccable. Really, he's, really he's, good. He's great in the movie. Green Room, we've already talked about. Green Room was great. Um, and Swiss Army Man, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was it for me. All right, and then real quick, 
Uh, just the movies that you missed, the ones that you wish you had caught up with that you think may- might have made your list. Um, I didn't see The Handmaiden. I feel like that might have been a contender. None of us saw The Handmaiden, nope. right? I wish I would have seen it. Yeah. That was a big one. It played here. It played in Seattle. I just yeah. I missed it. I think it. it played at Lincoln Square, but I just didn't take the time to go yeah. see it. I, I wish I had. Uh, Tony Erdman. Is yeah. another one. It's a foreign film that's I've gotten a lot of buzz. Only yeah. good things about that. I wish I could have seen that one. Um, Kubo and the Two Strings. I'm Dude. a big fan of Laika, Laika it's animation. It's good. I'll catch up with it. Um, L for sure. Um, a Monster Calls was one that I was going to try and watch this week. Maybe sucks. Didn't get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he saw it. He was not big on it. Um, I might touch on it in a later segment. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are the big ones that I missed. Um Travis? Uh, yeah, so The Handmaiden, uh, The Wailing, Patterson, Tony Erdman, and Camera Person. Camera, Those, yeah, Camera Person. There's probably too. like... What's Camera Person? I believe it's a documentary that was filmed over like the course of like 20 years or something like that. I just know it's been on a lot of top 10s of the year. It's, and I think uh, Criterion actually, they've already done a release for it, but it's... It hasn't came out yet. It's pre-order right now. Oh, okay. Camera person, so really? It's nice. Immediately important, I guess. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uh, the director. She. It's. It's all her. She's behind the camera, but she. It's her life basically. So it's a lot of imagery from her own life, the people she's familiar with, um, and apparently it says some really interesting things about life and just a commentary on. I'm not really sure, having yeah. not seen the movie, but. I've heard a lot of a positive buzz behind it. I also heard um, Tower was pretty good. It's like the recreation of that shooting in Texas. Yeah, yeah El, El Paso, right? Yeah. It's the University of Texas. I yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's supposed to be really good. That sounds really cool. Yeah. The Sniper in the Bell Tower, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I want to catch up with that and one, And they too. do, like, rotoscope animation for it, and they they basically recreate the event, but they play it off like it. It's like a documentary. So it's about it's about the victims and not yeah. about the killer. Like apparently yeah. they only mention his name like once or twice. It's more about just like the trauma and how scary it was to be there, which sounds really cool. I, yeah. I do want to catch That's up. That's a definitely a different approach, which we can appreciate. For sure. Considering. But yeah, there's probably a handful of other movies I wish I would have caught up on, but I feel like I made a pretty solid list. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw I saw sixty eight movies as the final tally. I think twenty sixteen releases. Let me see Impressive. if I had you beat. You got me beat. No, let me see if I did. Oh, sixty <laughs> seven. Oh, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Moana. So I'll put it over the top last night. Actually, totally worth well, it. There may be a couple I didn't put on here because I know what? Hardcore Henry isn't on this list. You. Didn't put what? I didn't put Hardcore Henry on this list, and I know I saw that this year. Oh, why didn't you put Hardcore Henry on there? I don't know. I All right, well, it it's on mine, so we forgot it came out this year. Maybe. All right, we're running a little long, but we have a couple segments we're gonna go over. We don't have too much to talk about, but we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back. All right, and we're back. Uh, what we're gonna do next is we are going to compile using our own top 10 lists in the conversation we've just had to compile the cinephiles digest podcast best five movies of the year um pretty unanimously i feel like unequivocal unequivocal number one (laughs) film of the year la la land is my number one travis is number one tom's number two not much to say left or not much left to say la la land total cream dream 
top of the line. Doesn't get any better. Nothing to complain about, honestly, with that movie. Unanimous number one. Um, Go we, see it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. If you haven't already seen La La Land, it's still playing in theaters wide. Catch up with it. It's going to continue to play because it's got a lot of Oscar buzz mm. once the Oscar nominations come out. It's going to be playing for a while. So catch up with La La Land if you haven't seen it. Manchester by the Sea, we're all pretty high on. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm okay with Manchester by the Sea being on number two. Yeah, it was nine, yeah. my number three. Yeah, my number four. I had it. Uh, I don't have that piece of shit. Whoa. <laughs> number six, I think. Let me go back. Yeah, I had it at number six. So, Manchester by the Sea, great film. Mm-hmm. Um, another one we're big on, Moonlight. Not so much me, but... Tom's number it, one it, film. It earned its place. Six for me. It its place. And yeah. I, I definitely grappled with that one. It, like I said, 11 through 20, a lot of those are interchangeable with toward the bottom of my list. So I'm totally okay with Moonlight being on this list. Uh, Hell or High Water. I mean, we had a write-in submission. We all really liked Hell or High Water. Yeah, number seven for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it for me? I just said that. It's either five or six, I think. Yeah, I was around the middle. Six. Yeah. Six. I'm okay with that coming out at number four. And then... This was kind of a toss-up. Yeah. I think <laughs> we decided on Midnight Special. It was between Midnight Special and Arrival. Yeah, I could say that there's a little room to play around there, but... Yeah. Overall, Midnight Or even, special. like, Swiss Army Man, because I had it at 11. Yeah. You had it at two? I had it at two. And oh, I had, had it at 11 or 12. No, yeah. I had Wilder People at uh, 11, so it was, probably would have been my number 12. Yeah. That's so. fair. Uh-oh. And we like had a write-in pretty, submission pretty also. Interchangeable. Three-way tie. <laughs> yeah. That's that's good. But wait, Midnight Special. I want to throw some love on Midnight yeah. Special. Even though it didn't make my top 10, but it was Absolutely. right at the edge there. Um, I'm okay with that. It's a sci-fi movie, but it has kind of a faith element to it and like uh i don't know just a hope for for life for what life is totally all right well we did it that was quick we're good yeah that's top all right five. top five official cinephiles digest best films of the year coming in at number five we have midnight special number four hell or high water number three moonlight Number two, Manchester by the Sea. And number one, La La Land. Swiss Army Man and Arrival. Honorable mentions. Both great films in their own right. Um, So there you have it. Our uh, collaborative top five of the year. Uh, Let's, a couple minutes, let's just talk about some of our favorite performances of the year. Casey Affleck is a big one. He's on the top of my list. Yeah, absolutely. He's absolutely incredible. It's devastating performance. Very nuanced, nothing too showy, you know. No Jake Gyllenhaal moments from uh, from Casey Affleck in this one. No. Very good, very down to earth, incredible performance. Um, uh, I talked about him a little bit. I don't think he's one of my favorites, but John Goodman. Hey, that was on my list. Yeah, actually, that was my second performance. I I wanted to know that. (laughs) Very creepy, funny. He was terrifying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you don't you don't really know if he's a good guy or a bad guy, even toward the end. Right. There's yeah. such a Some such a I don't know, an endearing kind of way about him. Like he yeah. seems trustworthy on just surface level. You know, he's just like frying bacon in the kitchen, right? So how could he be a bad guy? 
Yeah, John Goodman, for sure. Uh, Travis, you want to rattle off a couple? I know sure. you had a little. Well, those were the two I mainly wanted to touch on, but a third one would be uh, Denzel Washington in Fences. Oh, yeah. Man, we didn't talk to about form Fences for Denzel. I didn't see it, but I expected a little bit more. Matt and I both saw it together. Yeah. I would say it was very good. Um, that didn't make the list. <laughs> yeah. But Ola Davis, too. Both They're both yeah. incredible in it. She's always amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Denzel's his performance in that is incredible. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, I would I would say all three of the actors who play Chiron in Moonlight. Yeah, they were all really good. good as well. Yeah, yeah, especially that teenager, but the the adult too. All incredible. Uh, you had you had a couple other ones. Those were the three I wanted to touch on. So um, I also had Emma Stone in La La Land. Yeah. Um, Man, even the part where she's going and auditioning for for roles that she doesn't end up getting, yeah, uh, and people are coming in and out, and she's just like crying on command. Acting and playing the part of someone who's acting a part, like I can't imagine how difficult and how 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 nuanced that that has to be to actually pull it off. But uh, she was spectacular in that film. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, just go ahead and rattle off. Some of the ones so for female performances, the three I wanted to touch on was Kresha Fairchild and Kresha. Uh, I thought that was an incredible performance. Haven't seen her in anything else. And her character plays as like an unreliable narrator where you don't know if what's all going on is actually going on. And um, Annette Benning, like Matt touched on earlier in his top 10 in mm-hmm. 20th Century Women. And then I did see Jackie and Natalie performing. Oh, yeah. Natalie Portman I was great yeah. in that as well. I left that um, off my the ones I missed. I'm, I'm bummed I missed that one. Me too. I think the performance was probably the strongest part of it. Um, so all I have for just male or, you know, female lead performances, um, I thought Shia LaBeouf and Shasha Lane were great together in American Honey. In um, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, and La La Land, and then uh, I thought Elle Fanning had a great year with uh, Neon Demon in 20th Century Women, and I'm excited to see what she's going to do in the next few years. I think she's going to be an emerging star. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I would throw uh, Michael Shannon in the mix too. I For mean, sure. he's great in For, Midnight, yeah, Midnight Special. Special. He's incredible, but also Nocturnal Animals. And in Loving. And in Loving, yeah, very small part. In yeah, <laughs> very memorable. He's so creepy. Yeah. He pulls off creepy in a, in a whole other way. Uh, the only person I would add is Jeff Bridges. Cause, oh, yeah, in Hell or High Water, yeah. Man, I, I listened to this interview <laughs> with him, too, where he was he was talking about hanging out with these these Texas lawmen and learning learning the tricks of the trade and just, you know, subtle things he picked up from them. But, um, man, he personified that role and uh, – really gave life to that character in a, in a multi-dimensional way you know you, you could you could read between the lines to see kind of what he was thinking um even though it wasn't what he was saying explicitly yeah good pick um we already talked about ryan gosling and la la land but ryan gosling and the nice guys yeah <laughs> also incredible I mean, come on. <laughs> he's so good in it i mean travis touched on it before but like when he does comedy mm-hmm. like impeccable timing there's so many he like he makes the nice guys for me. I oh, think. For yeah, sure. yeah. He is incredible. The one thing that did bum me out about that movie was I did feel like a lot of the funny parts were showcased in the trailer. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like that's... a lot of the big comedy moments. I don't know if I saw the trailer. Really? Yeah. I saw I saw it a bunch. I was pretty hyped for that movie. Yeah. Me. And you know Shane Black, I'm a big fan of his stuff. So this was his. Every like decade or so, he has like a yeah funny comedy <laughs> movie. Um, this was probably my favorite of the ones that he's done. I mean, excluding maybe Lethal Weapon, but you know. Um, let me see what else do I have here. Um, I would highlight Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander in Light Between Oceans. Thought they were both really good. Um, Joel Edgerton uh, in Loving and Midnight Special, incredible, um, and. Definitely one of my favorite uh, performances from an actress. Um, I am looking up her name as we speak, but Joel Edgerton's partner in Loving. Um, yeah, Ruth Nega. She is so good. She's very sweet. Her dramatic moments are beautiful. Just her voice. She's just, oh, God, there's just something about her performance. Electrifying. It's, 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 it's an electric performance. <laughs> Very, very good. I, I, I loved her a lot. I'm looking um, forward to watching that movie. Very good. Annette Benning, I loved her. I already talked about her. Um, and then let me see if there's anything else I have here. Um, oh, the only other one I would want to mention would be Viggo Mortensen in Captain Fantastic. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked a lot about yeah. that movie, but it was fun. I, mean, I loved it. I thought it was really great. I didn't – I don't know. I had my – I poked holes in it, Matt. I'm, an, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> Yeah, it was a movie that I saw in the theater, so mm-hmm. some of it is kind of you know getting away from me. Don't have too much to say about it, but I do remember really liking it at the time. Sure. It's a little bit idealistic. A lot of bit idealistic. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. But um, Vega was good. He was very good. I feel like very good year overall for performances, but there aren't, except maybe Casey Affleck there really aren't any I mean like... he that's the performance you just keep hearing again and again is yeah. Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea and uh, I mean it's well worth the accolades that he's receiving but yeah I mean as far as like performances for the ages I don't know yeah. if we really got you know there's no Daniel Day-Lewis and my left foot Blood. <laughs> <laughs> there's no da- Daniel Day-Lewis in Chicago uh <laughs> Um, nothing quite on the level of that, but overall, very solid year for performances, I would say. Um, all right, two last things before we go. Let's talk about the worst movies we saw this year. And I feel like we should preface this by saying that we make you know, a point all, of watching good, watching good movies. Yeah, I mean, we all we all work full time. None of us are full time movie critics by any means. You know, we see a fair amount of movies, but I do my best to prioritize movies that I feel like I'm gonna actually enjoy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same um, here. So I feel like none of us probably saw the legitimate worst movies of the year. No. These are just our own it comes with the caveat of these are our own personal worst movies. These are maybe the movies that you saw but you're wrong. <laughs> or that too. Um Definitely not with mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. You start us off, there, Travis. Right, what was so uh, worst the worst films of the year? Cuts, Travis. So <laughs> these are three comedies that just weren't Sucked. for me. They're for the you know mainstream audience at best. <laughs> uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Oh no! That felt like a lot like Dirty Grandpa, just not as funny. Travis Dirty Grandpa fucking was amazing. Loved Dirty Grandpa. He was. It probably helped that I had a full screening with it, but I thought Robert De Niro and Zac Efron were 
oh. hilarious in that movie. <laughs> That's what Dirty Grandpa is. <laughs> and uh, this was the first time I actually didn't like Aubrey Plaza in something. I thought her character was very annoying. By far the weak link yeah. of the four. So yeah. uh, it's it's Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, who I actually I like quite a bit. Zach Efron, I thought he was. Uh, I, I like Mike. And He's Dave. good. I, I thought it, it was pretty. Had Dirty Grandpa not DJ came out this year. year. Mike oh, Dave, or not Mike uh, Dave. I know what you're talking Efron. about. It's uh, it's already. Terrible. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, workaholics. Adam Devine. Yeah. He's a little. He's a little much. He, he's. He's always a little much. He, yeah. <laughs> kind of I. I like Mike. He and Dave. is funny though. I like Mike and Dave more than I thought I would like Mike and Dave. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of the worst. The you know one of the lesser films I saw this year. Uh, another one was Central Intelligence. A movie built off its two leads it's got to bring rock. in money, and that's about it. Yeah, I, I <laughs> The Rock and uh, Kevin Hart. No, I haven't seen it. I mean, it had a, f- a couple funny moments, but I don't know. The plot was a little messy, and yeah, just didn't like it. And uh, my worst film of the year has to be Sisters with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. That's a 2015 release. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I saw it in 2015. I saw it at Sundance here Let me in check. Seattle in 2015. I saw it on Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, sure. well, either way, I, I watched that. it this year, <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, Sisters was not very good. Yeah. It was. I mean, it's definitely not made for me, but, yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't remember. I saw that movie with somebody. I'm pretty sure it was on a date. I don't remember. Not good. Not good. Not a good date. Disqualified, but. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're in agreement that it was bad. <laughs> All right. What about you, Tom? Uh, okay. Suicide Squad was garbage. I didn't I, see that. I didn't see it either. I heard. It was fucking terrible. There's a reason I didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had like plans to go see a movie with some friends. We're really excited. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love going to the movies with these particular people. And it just happened that we were going to go see Suicide Squad. And I was like, but what if it's bad? <laughs> and it was. It was... It was absolute trash. The story was, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it except that the camera just follows uh, Harley Quinn's ass the whole movie, and that's pretty much the movie. <laughs> it's like Will Smith is a dickhead, and um, yeah. How was how was Jared Leto as the Joker? Um, man, his thirty seconds were riveting. <laughs> <laughs> he was overboard. Honestly, I mean, that's kind of what he was going for. He was going for yeah. like the, the, uh, I don't know, Hollywood version of, of, uh, what Heath Ledger did. It wasn't an understated thing in any way. Yeah. And I, I can appreciate that. That's fine. Maybe there would have been more to that if, if he'd been in the movie more, but yeah, that movie was shit. And did you see Batman vs Superman? No, I didn't see that. Neither did I. Um, I want to, I kind of want to watch both of those, but. I don't know if it's worth a like five to six hour investment. I that... know, I know, <laughs> I will hate both those yeah. movies, but I'm I'm definitely the biggest Batman fan in this room. I my entire life I've been obsessed with Batman. But it's gonna be Ben Affleck. And I like love him as Batman. I know, I know, Fuck but that. I love every Batman movie. Like even fucking Batman and Robin, terrible movie, but movie. I I can enjoy that. Is movie. that the like, one I, with? Jim Carrey, or is that... No, that's Batman Forever. Okay. Batman I do Rob like that one a lot. George Clooney. I do like Batman Forever a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, Suicide Squad just had no redeeming qualities. Um, they the best part of the movie was they do these little montages when they introduce each of the characters. Right, it's sort of like a what was that? I can't remember what movie you're talking about, but it's like this is the person's name. Twentieth century women, and this is you know where they're from, and this is their background, and it gives like a twenty second cut of them doing something insane. And I was like, okay, this might be fun. And then it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also watched Hush recently. I mm. was uh, – that's not – it was not one of the ones I was going to mention. But there was a lot of hype behind that movie. Yeah. And I did not think it was good. No, it wasn't good. I, it was, we I wouldn't even go so far it. say it's a bad movie. We couldn't agree on what movie to watch this night, me and my friends. And we, we put on Hush and – um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's it's a horror movie, but the main character is deaf, and that's the, you know, the that's gimmick, gimmick, the gimmick, totally. And I thought, oh, this might be interesting, actually. It could have been. It could have been interesting if they'd played that up more. I wish they had had more scenes where you can't hear anything and you just see crazy shit, or you, I don't know, I don't know how they could convey feeling something, but, um, it it had some twists and turns that made absolutely no sense. It had no development. She has these psychological things that come out of nowhere. So dumb. The shit with her mom, like yeah, just talking yeah. to her in her and head. She's Get got the. They they make this really vague allusion to her having voices in her head at the beginning of the movie, and then nothing happens. And then there's this moment where she has an opportunity, and all of a sudden the voices come out and like basically convince her to not take this opportunity to escape or, or what have you. And uh, it was just so out of place and so random. And they, they tried a couple of tricks, but they didn't have any setup for them. And it was it was bad. Yeah. I had some high hopes for that movie because there know, was a lot of buzz behind it. The other it, mistake but... they made, the villain had like a, a mask at the beginning. And it was kind of scary. Yeah. No, totally. And as it soon as he took it off, I was just like, oh, you just uh, look yeah, like a little yeah, bitch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not scary at all anymore. Yeah, totally. He had this mask and he takes it off in the first five minutes and you're like, oh, you suck, dude. And then he just like, all of the menace that was there yeah. previously was gone as soon as the mask yeah, came off. Yeah. They left, um, or they didn't leave enough up to... The know, imagination. Totally. Like, totally. That's why... Halloween is my favorite horror movie and one of my favorite movies in general. That's how every good horror movie works, it, right? You know? It's like what's happening. I'm not even sure exactly what's going on, but this is like, I mean, it was just telegraphed. God damn it. Anyway, it had potential. That was a bad movie. Bad movie. Sounds like I made the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skipping it. Um, okay. So the two worst movies that I saw all year <clears throat> were two horror movies. And I'm a big horror movie buff. Uh, one of these I actually was kind of looking forward to. The other, there was a lot of buzz behind it. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the one I was looking forward to that ended up disappointing me. And that was Blair Witch. Blair Witch Project is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, I had heard about this project for a while. It was not dubbed Blair Witch beforehand. I, I love the filmmakers. It's Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett, I believe. Big fan of their previous work. They did The Guest, which I was a big fan of. They did You're Next. You're Next, which is also fantastic. So when it came out that this was actually like a reboot of Blair Witch, I was like, fuck yeah, this sounds great. I love these guys. I'm curious to see what they do. Total piece of shit. <laughs> I, there were a couple creepy moments that I thought were kind of cool. Um, one of the big things, which is a positive and a negative for me, is that they show what the witch looks like. Oh, that's a mistake. 
Big time. But it was actually creepy. Did they like, do it early? No. Okay. Well, Toward the end of it. All right. Um, I can live with that. I wish they had don't it. Don't they show her huh? in the Blair Witch at the very end? No. Or like the second? No. Uh, no. You don't see anything. You see some dude like tweaking out in the corner, right? With the... With his back to the camera. Yeah, yeah that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, well, that, that's how the the Blair Witch ends, like because they had they build up this thing at the beginning where it's like a story where the witch would like force the character, like the the her victims, to like face the corner while she murdered the other one. Mm. So Heather in the Blair Witch Project goes downstairs and sees her friend in the corner. Like that moment for me is one of my favorite horror moments of all time. So they revisit that in this movie. Totally fuck it up. <laughs> The performances are terrible. It just looks too crisp. Like they're using modern cameras, which, you know, cameras are a lot better than they used to be when the Blair Witch Project came out. So I get that. Goes completely off the wall with like the otherworldly elements. Like it just gets fucking ridiculous. It was terrible. Bad performances. Not scary. Big disappointment. Only movie I saw that was worse than Blair Witch. <laughs> Was The Shallows. So wrong. So wrong. Terrible, terrible movie. The shark looks like a piece of shit. Everything that the characters do don't make any logical sense. Um, there are awful attempts at humor that just completely fell flat no, for me. The guy on Travis the beach is amazing. Say, the drunken guy oh, on no, the beach no, no, is hilarious. No, no. That was so stupid. Was it the worst was shark movie you've ever literally seen? Literally laughing ever? out loud. No, not ever. No, it's not as good as Jaws, but it's up there. Get, oh, my God. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's very entertaining. Uh, I don't care if it's realistic or not. It did its job. It wasn't about being Blake realistic. Blake Lively carries the was... film, tour de force, mm. you know, <laughs> just knocks it no out of the park. Exactly, yeah. It's one I missed. No, no. Absolutely not. I love I, it. How from, about the shark, though? Loved it. No. No. Loved the it. shark it doesn't make any sense why the shark is even there. Is it a great white? Yeah. Are they in the tropics? No. Well, yeah. I don't. It doesn't matter where they are. It kind of matters. Why doesn't it make sense? It though? makes sense that the shark is there. It's not like out of place that there's a shark. But that shark has a crush on Blake Lively. Oh, oh that's bad. That's a. Bad it's movie. a. Ro there's a romance subplot. Uh, no. But the, like the the shark is just circling. She's just it stuck on this her rock. Bad. And it's just circling. <laughs> and they, they try to justify it by the fact that there's like a whale carcass that's like floating in the water. So that's why the shark is hanging out because he's just like Nibble. munching on it, you know, like, and then moves around. You know, he's just circling the rock. But She's the, just dying of something. Edge of my seat. Just... It's a real piece of shit. Fuck, Fuck no. the shallows. Fuck everyone who thinks that's a good movie. It may be serviceable in its execution, it looks okay. No suspense because I was just could not suspend my disbelief. I, Matt wanted to hate the movie. I from the very <laughs> first trailer, I was like, "This looks like a piece of shit." And then Travis he and his brother both it. thought they were hyped on it. Oh yeah, okay. And I could not fathom how they thought it looked good from the trailer. And then the movie came out and it was getting a lot of positive buzz. People seemed to like it, so I was like, "Okay, fine, I'll, I'll go see it." No, biggest regret regret of the year. Besides voting biggest for Donald surprises. Trump, that was my biggest <laughs> regret of the year. One of the biggest surprises of the that year, The Shallows. All of our biggest Go see it regrets. now. <laughs> we all voted for Trump here. We were all backstabbed. Yeah. No, that's not true. Or at least I hope that's not true. I don't think you voted for Donald Trump, did you? Well, I definitely got backstabbed. Is that what we're talking we're getting, about? We're getting into <laughs> politics now. Uh, yeah, so next week on uh, the Polycat, Polycats, <laughs> Politics Digest podcast. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, okay, and then let's, let's close things off. 
with our biggest disappointments of the year. This is a movie that you were really hyped on, didn't live up to it, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Personally, your biggest disappointment of the year. Travis? Biggest disappointment of the year, A Monster Calls. (laughs) I did not like this film. (laughs) Uh, The kid was annoying at times. Uh, I'm sick of Liam Neeson's voice in film. (laughs) He doesn't try and differentiate it one bit. I mean, yeah, it was just boring hearing him as the voice of the monster. And the design of the monster is boring. There's no, like, good action sequences or anything like that. Um, People were comparing this to Life of Pi, which is insane. That movie is a visual masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, I was just so far removed from it by the time it was hitting on the, like, emotional moments of the film that they just didn't didn't hit for me, no. That's a bummer. And I, I, I do like his other movies. I do like The Impossible and... The Orphanage. Yeah, The Orphanage is one of my favorites. So I was hoping to like this, but it just didn't do it for me. The movie that it wanted to be, that it's not, is The Iron Giant, (laughs) which is amazing. I do love The Iron Giant. (laughs) I wanted to rewatch that. All of my friends have been talking about The Iron Giant, and I I I have a loving idea if you want to borrow it. It's good. I've seen it a bunch of times. That was one of my favorites when I was a kid. It is probably my favorite animated film. Yeah? Yeah. That's not Kubo and the Two Strings? No, definitely not. <laughs> the Dark Knight, not, uh, the Dark Knight Rises rips off the uh, ending of uh, The Iron Giant. All right, fair enough. I, I do still want to catch up with it, but I, I didn't catch it in time for this one. I, I had to choose between Moana and A Monster Calls. Oh, and I would like to touch on Rogue One being a little disappointing as well. Force Awakens is far superior, and um, yeah, the best part about Rogue One was the Darth Vader sequence at the end, which feels yeah, more like dope. fan service than anything. I, in no, that sequence I think so we need to talk about Star Wars a little bit that because scene. it hasn't even been mentioned. And yeah. I totally agree. The best part I, was the last, what, minute of the movie? Yeah. I, I didn't care for any of the characters. No. I didn't get caught up in it. Um, there's no like Star Wars magic in the movie. And um, no, that scene, though, the Darth Vader sequence... It really feels like it was planted in that movie for people to talk about once they get out of it. Because it's perfectly placed in there, like the last 15 minutes. And although it was cool, I don't know, I just felt like the rest of the movie didn't match it. Okay, that, that's fair. I like Rogue One a lot. I actually liked it a little bit more than Force Awakens, I think. I don't want to talk too much about it, but yeah, visually yeah. I thought it was really good. I Overall, maybe the, the new characters definitely weren't as good as like finn or ray um Mm -hmm. from force awakens but i i like that it focused on it wasn't about jedis you know it was like for star wars i actually felt like this movie was it felt like a war a galactic war you know i appreciated that about it yeah i actually had a conversation with a, a co-worker who was like a huge star wars fan and he convinced me on some levels of the i don't know the merits of of Rogue One and why it was important and why it mattered in the universe of Star Wars and all that, but as someone who's just going there to watch a good movie, I was I was sorely disappointed. Um, as far as movies that I saw, that would be probably my most disappointing. Um, I didn't see Knight of Cups, 
because it's supposed to be so bad. And I was, was. really, really stoked for Knight of Cups. I love Terrence Malick. I mean, the cast looks phenomenal on paper. So super disappointed that that's not like what everyone's talking about right now. I do want to catch up with that one. I'm a huge Malick fan. And he, mm-hmm. he had another movie that came out this year. He had that he? documentary, Voyage oh, of yeah. Time, too, which I didn't, I didn't see. I didn't see it either. Um, which I, I heard some good things about, but I hope to catch up with that one. Um, any other disappointments, Tom? Um, uh, no. I'm not a big Marvel person, but Suicide Squad was – I mean, I was at least hoping that it would be fun. You DC, know? DC. Oh, is it? Oh, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a big comics fan in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was, as I've said, terrible. So that was a bummer. I don't know. Uh, are we going to touch on surprises, or do we already kind of do that? Surprises? Honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, if you want to touch on... Well, one movie I'd like to give some love to is Nerve. <laughs> I didn't catch Nerve, but I, I it, heard a lot of people Yeah, the one with, uh, is it Emma Roberts and mm-hmm. uh, Zac Efron? And Dave Franco. Is that oh, yeah. Efron's not right? Or no, no, no. I'm Dave sorry. Franco. Yeah, Is Dave this Franco, his DJ yeah. movie? No, no, no. That's <laughs> not it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's got like a intriguing premise. It's pretty entertaining. It touches on like the current state of the internet and social media and like how kids use YouTube to get famous and all that. But it was actually, yeah, pleasantly surprising. Um, the poster makes it look like a pile of shit. I mean, I didn't have any interest in seeing it, but then... I just decided to give it, you know, a watch, and yeah, I I liked it. Cool. All right. My most disappointing movie of the year, and this is a doozy, because I was this was one of my uh, most anticipated movies of the year. Mm-hmm. I went and saw it with Travis actually. Mm-hmm. The Neon Demon. Fuck the Neon oh Demon. My God. I was so hyped for this movie, and it's a misogynistic piece of shit. Visually, it's just Nicholas <laughs> Winding Refn just retreading shit he's already done. I did really like the opening sequence. I will, yeah, I could agree with that. I like the opening sequence. I like the score. Uh, Cliff Martinez is the score. I thought the score was very good. Performances are really wooden, um, which is kind of his thing recently. Like start kind yeah. of starting, maybe not starting with Drive, but definitely with Drive. Uh, kind of carried into Only God Forgives. But it just didn't work in this movie for me. Everything everything was too cold. It didn't come across... It just came across as bad acting to me. Um, I thought Elle Fanning was, was fine in it, but I, I much preferred her in 20th Century Women. Way too heavy with its themes. It's just very heavy-handed. It literalizes its, meta- its metaphors. So there's an expression that, um, as far as like Hollywood that it's a town that'll eat you alive right. and it makes that literal in the dumbest fucking way possible. <laughs> I just, Oh my God. I, I left the theater. Like I saw it with Travis and you were much higher on it than I was. Yeah. The more I thought about it, the less I liked it. Such a huge disappointment for me. I, it, I'm baffled by the praise that this movie is getting by some people. I'm a huge Nicholas Winding Refn fan. Like, Drive is one of my all-time yeah. favorite movies. I love Bronson. I love the Pusher trilogy. I loved Only God Forgives, even, which I feel like a lot of people think the Neon Demon's like a return to form hmm. for him. Could not disagree more. Huge disappointment. Huge. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely think its visuals and score are the two main things to point out about it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was a little disappointing because I expected it to be like one of my favorites of the year, just because I do love Nicholas Winnerefin as well. Um, but yeah, I can't deny that it didn't fully work for me. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, okay, well, I mean, that about does it. Real quick, I just want to touch on a couple of really good documentaries I saw this this year. Excuse me, I'm not gonna talk too much about them, but I just want to mention them because all three of these movies are streaming. Um, on Amazon, Netflix. Um, so catch up with them. Uh, I'm talking about Gleason, which is uh, incredibly emotionally devastating documentary about this ex-football player, Steve Gleason, who is from Washington State. He played football for WSU, played special teams for the Saints for seven or eight years, and he's diagnosed with ALS. And the movie is just about the progression of his disease, he's kind of doing this so that he can leave something befi- behind for his child because he gets pregnant with his with – his, I think they're married at the time the movie starts. Yeah, they get pregnant right before he's diagnosed with the disease. I think it's actually right after, I think. Well, they might find out, but okay. I think technically well, okay. it was yeah, conceived. Sure. <laughs> um, so you see like – it's about him leaving something behind so his kid can see what he was like before he was diagnosed yeah, he with does terrible like disease. Video diaries, and then also, um, it just basically puts you in the room with them for like multiple scenes, and you just see how his disease just breaks them down as like a family. And yeah, the the camera doesn't shy away sometimes, and it's it's pretty brutal. It's very emotional, very yeah. inspiring. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, the other one that I want to mention is Rats. This is uh, Morgan Spurlock's new documentary, right. who's responsible for uh, Super Size Me, um, that TV show 30 Days on FX. I think that's what it's called. Um, it does not feel like a Morgan Spurlock documentary. There, he doesn't do any narration. It kind of has the cadence of a horror movie. It's just about like rats around the world from different perspectives, extermination, disease, um it's just it's literally all about rats yeah it's <laughs> gross there's some bro. scenes in this that made me want to barf it's scary they're creepy there's some so things be eating like, i might watch this. spaghetti while watching yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's gross it's tough to watch uh, but very good very good i'd highly recommend it and then the other one i would want to mention is 13th which is ava duvernay's documentary about um prison system and how the prison population has doubled doubled during the nixon and reagan years doubled again during the clinton years and about how it's a new form of slavery um it's a film for our times it's very uh, very timely very hard to watch the only reason it didn't end up on my own personal list is just because i've seen there's been other documentaries that have done this i wouldn't say better but it's been done before um very strong argument very emotional um definitely worth watching it's a netflix original so catch up with that um anything else you guys want to mention before we go uh yeah besides gleason uh, i want to touch on de palma which is oh, the yeah. retrospect on brian de palma's career as a director um it's just cool to see how his career's you know progressed over the years and you get to see some of his influences as well as uh, how critics perceived him over the years. And, um, yeah, it's just a cool, you know, retrospect of his entire career. And I think it was, wasn't was directed by Noah Baumbach and yeah. someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want to catch up with that That's one. That's on – it Amazon. should be on Amazon Prime yeah. still. Yeah. I want to catch up with that one soon. Um, 
Well, I think that about does it. Does thank it for me. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, they're not always going to be this long, but we had a lot to yeah. talk about. We're going to shoot for 60 to 90 minutes. If we can. Probably. If it goes yeah. long, we're not going to strictly adhere to a specific time limit. But just moving forward, we're going to try to do this bi week biweekly as we're getting started. Um, you know, we all work full time. We don't see as many movies as maybe some other podcasters. Um, but we see a lot of movies. And we're going to try and do this every other week to start. We'll see what happens. Um, going to try to get the episodes up during the middle of the week. You can go to cinephilesdigest.com to find the link. Um, and that site's been up for, for multiple years. So if you want to go back and look at reviews or old features, feel free. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, the format is we're going to you know review some movie. Some current movie. We're going to have some fun stuff sprinkled in, some features. We'll talk about just general things. What we watch throughout the week. Yeah, general format. Um, We'll talk about some TV. We want to try and get to some TV on this, but we just went kind of long. So, Um, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I myself have been wanting to do this for a long time. Glad I finally do it. Um, And thank you guys for listening. Tune in next time. Episode two. um, We'll talk to you soon. This is your life.